This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Top of the morning to you. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff and Terry. The gang is gathered. Jeff is back. And ironically, the government shutdown has stopped. Yay. Jeff leaves, the government shuts down. Jeff comes back, the government is back up. I'm going to take that as a compliment. There's something about you, Jeffrey. Or there's something that made you cause the entire shutdown. And I come back and they release the names. It's a funny way of saying it, like they're holding them hostage. Yes. Release the names of the Best Picture nominees for the 2018 Oscars. So, look at you. You leave and it's all Oscar mania. Yeah. And I, you know, I ran through some of these names with you during the break yeah. and you had heard of a couple of them. Right. Are but you ready for them real quick? Yeah, let's hit it. So nine nominees. The way it works is you can, it can be between five and 10 nominees, okay. which is a ridiculous rule, but right. we can talk about that later. So nine nominees. Nine nominees. Wow. Call Me By Your Name. Okay. Uh, Matt. Darkest Hour. Uh, okay. The show, the Matt Townsend yeah. show. Yeah. Dunkirk. Yeah. It feels like Dunkirk. It's a good sometimes. beach to go to. Uh-huh. Uh, get Out. Get Out! No, that's just telling you to get out. Oh, okay. Yeah. Lady Bird, your nickname in high school. Yeah. Phantom Thread. Ah, uh, yeah. You get all your jeans done by them. Mm-hmm. The Post. Yeah. The cereal that you love. The Post, by the way, this show that's only been out like a month. Uh, yes. Interesting. The Shape of Water. Hmm. I'm not nerdy enough to know what the shape of water is. I bet like it's the spherical. literal, the literal shape. Yeah, yeah. square. And then square. Uh, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Yeah, these are the ones we keep hearing about. But the real estate that every uh, billboard executive hates. Uh, Star Wars. Nope. The Greatest Showman. Nope. Thor. Thor. Not a one. Boy. Star Wars and and Greatest Showman got a couple. But uh, not Boy, Thor. It's that our taste must not be. Terry, you'll appreciate this. Doubt it. Logan oh. nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. Really? Can you believe that? A, uh, a uh, superhero I, movie. I stand here astounded. It's amazing. What, what's an adapted screenplay? You don't want to know. It's a screenplay based on material that's already been created. So I assume they took it from the comics and then that was the adaptation. But... Isn't every movie basically from a book or from not every no, movie? No, there's from a, somebody's mind. So Logan is the best one. Well, it's one of five. What are the other ones? Oh goodness, let me see here. Hmm. Um, You're making him dig in the pile. You know what? You know what's interesting? Uh, James Franco not nominated for best actor. Well, everybody he, hates him though. Well, and it's very He's interesting evil. because a lot of the, people the, struggle the, with the him, voting don't they? deadline came right around the time when allegations started coming out around him. And so you'd have people yeah. that said, I voted for him. I wish I could take that vote back, but oh, I voted really? for him. He's been skipping award shows and yeah. trying to lay low. So, so yeah, he is not surprise. He is not nominated. And yet Margot Robbie, who portrayed Tanya Harding, is nominated. Now, that's not to say anything about Mar- Margot Robbie, but isn't it interesting? You should say something about Tanya Harding. Some behaviors are condemned, while others are condoned and even celebrated. Ooh, good like point. Like Tanya, Tanya Harding, 
is she, getting all this attention for well, clubbing somebody in the kneecap. It's not Tanya. It's the performance of someone doing no, that. I said, doing not, Tanya. I said not to say anything about Margot Robbie, but this film is being celebrated. Not uh, her, though. The, the Several actor. nominations. But not Tanya Harding, the story. It's well. It's being she's, well told She's and showing up to all the awards ceremonies. Well, yeah, she's like the subject matter. How come, how come OJ didn't win more awards? Like when the Godzilla movie came out, Godzilla was at the movie. Do you think they'll thank Tanya Harding if, <laughs> if like, for instance, if well, Allison no. Janney wins, no, will no, they thank her? Nobody thanked OJ when all those movies about his how situation rude. won. I mean, thank, how rude. thank heavens. And if they did, it was a joke. You know, um... This is why I don't like these award ceremony things. It's so crazy because they would have had enough material having Jimmy Kimmel return as host and just – wasn't that funny last year when we made that snafu where we told you the wrong best picture? That was funny. But then they had everything with Trump. But even all of that aside, now they have everything with the Time's Up movement yeah. And Christopher Plummer, who came in to work on this film last minute for nine days, now has an Oscar nomination for it for all the money in the world. Wouldn't that be crazy if he won the if he won the He won't, Oscar? but he won't. Oh. That's what you already know. Totally I does. already know. It's almost like – I can go down this list and tell you who's going to win. It's interesting. I don't know that I would have led with the Oscars today. Really? Well, well you, tried to, you tried to talk about the government shutdown. Government's opened up and – a tsunami warning. Yeah. I mean, that's a big deal. Ew. There's a tsunami warning from Alaska, and they won't really know the full impact, but Yeah, but at scary. least we have Oscar nominations now, right? Yeah. Isn't that... Speaking of tsunami... For a time this morning, <laughs> the West Coast had a tsunami warning. Yeah. Has that been San pulled? Francisco, they pulled that about... That's a scary uh, deal. Couple hours ago, it was pulled. But yeah, it's it's seven point nine earthquake off the coast near the Aleutian, I guess, islands uh, in Alaska. So if you ever watch Deadliest Catch, Deadliest Catch, which I know where the Aleutian Islands are, which means this is going to be part of the show. Deadliest Catch, your wife's nickname for you. Oh yeah, yeah. That and yeah, other things. The show Deadliest. I've watched. I think every episode of that. It's been on. I love that. Twelve years. So they had when the. the the they had some budget issues in Washington and they started kind of rolling back some of some of the money. what did they call that it was something with during President Obama they had like fishermen from Deadliest Catch were in Congress saying you oh. need to open up the fisheries so we can have you know yeah. so uh, they have budget restrictions there and then there's been whenever I'll, I'll watch the weather just wait because there's yeah. some huge storm that rolls through which means the TV show is going to be awesome because. Boats you, are so you actually and, anticipate the oh, next yeah. season. So this is going to be great because there's a tsunami warning and all these guys Whoa. are going to be out in the ocean yeah. and they're, you're, you're going to see the drama, they all the even, edits. The, one the, of the buoys was uh, that I guess it was between the earthquake and the land would, like went up 15 feet. Yeah. So they're thinking, Whoa. holy cow, a 15-foot wave right there. Does and anyone ever die other than, in, other than the fish? Nobody on on deadliest catch the, so the, far. There was one captain had a heart attack, and then you know later on was you know he succumbed to the heart attack. Yeah, it was, it was a it was a pulmonary embolism. Yeah, it was a while. There's there's been people on other boats that the cameras are not on that are lost at sea or fall right? overboard or need to have airlift. They always have an yeah. airlift about every third so show. I, I don't think anyone is like That's while crazy. cameras rolling died. Yeah, thank heavens. Is that worth all that trouble to get a couple of fish? Well, it's, it's you know what it's like? A lot of it's just like the Oscars. Really? Is it really worth it? 
<laughs> but these, these end, guys, it, these guys will go out for two months of work and come back with like eighty thousand dollars. Yeah, so yeah. that's why they do it. And it's, it's the, the hardest job in the world. But instead of going out it's and crazy. losing a limb or losing your arm, you lose three and a half to four and a half hours of your life that you'll never get back. Watching the Oscars. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just exactly. Uh, which is why, by the way, today, what a gift! Um, we'll be joined by Boyd Matheson who is going to help us understand – in fact, he just had an op-ed piece in the Deseret News about this shutdown, which – and his, his basic position is everybody's messed up. Yeah. Everybody messed up this showdown and the shutdown because nobody really benefited at all in the end. And we just have, what, 300 more hours before – not how many – so many days. I think it's like two it's like weeks. like 17 days, yeah. 16 days, I think. Now. Until um, we can do this again. Yeah, February 8th. So let's get to the headlines, find out what else is going on, Terry. So the agreement that uh, ended the 69 hours of shutdown, the long and dreadful nightmare that is now over until February 8th, the agreement emerged from a fledgling caucus of impassioned moderates from both political parties who could grow into a new power center in the Senate, reports the LA Times. The deal was worked out by a gang of 30 or so senators calling themselves the Common Sense Coalition. Which grew right. in numbers over the weekend during frantic negotiations in the standoff. Now many lawmakers in both parties are hoping the moderate group will continue to exert its influence to break the logjam. Hmm. Even as the new ideological factions were plotting on how to stamp it out. See? Really? Drama in the halls of yeah. Congress. Yeah. Democrats in particular need to hold the center together to quickly craft the Im- an immigration deal to protect dreamers. As the party comes under criticism for its progressive from its progressive wing, they feel like the Democratic leadership caved. Still really? Commentary there. For many, the gathering in the office of Senator Susan Collins, Republican of Maine, offered a glimpse of how the new Senate could break from the hyper-partisanship in Washington to govern. Senator Lindsey Graham, who helped organize the session, says that Susan's office was kind of a Switzerland in, Senate, in the Senate. Kind of a... Oh. Lots of It wasn't left, it wasn't and, right. It was oh. just nice. It was nice and nonpartisan. Go in there and come up with an agreement. Oh, great. Others see it as weak and caving. No, I kind of like that finally they're getting together, some of them. Well, 30 of them. Bipartisan. Yeah. Neat. So we'll see. FBI Director Christopher Wray threatened to quit his post over pressure to fire his deputy, Andrew um, McCabe. Axios reports President Donald Trump was publicly pressured Attorney General Jeff Sessions to fire McCabe, tweeting that uh, he is a Comey friend who was in charge of the Clinton investigation, who got big dollars for his wife's political run from Hillary Clinton and her representatives. Really? Something of that nature. President Trump doesn't like the guy. Yeah. Sessions reportedly urged uh, Ray to dismiss McCabe and make a fresh start with his FBI team. Instead, uh, Ray threatening to resign if McCabe... So everyone basically is uh, not working with the president when it comes to you need to fire people at the FBI. Yeah. Sessions reportedly dropped the ultimatum after... uh, He dropped the whole issue after the guy said, I'm going to quit. Well, yeah, you don't want to start that. No. That, that would be ugly. The whole idea of the FBI is supposed to be a little bit independent. Right. You're not supposed to start telling people to... that could be investigating things what to do when it comes to their employment. Seems like undue pressure. Looks bad for the White House. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. A Michigan man has been arrested after allegedly threatening to gun down CNN employees at the network's Atlanta headquarters over fake news. The man who has not been identified, who's said to have made 22 calls to the news network about a week ago, sparking an FBI investigation. He allegedly told a CNN operator he was traveling to Georgia to, quote, gun you all down. 
Oh, wow. And after repeatedly accusing the network of broadcasting fake news, uh, he says, I'm smarter than you, more powerful than you, I have more guns than you, more manpower, your cast is about to get gunned down in a manner of hours. So he just goes on and on. Unbelievable. Federal investigators traced the man's calls and arrested him before he was able to carry out any of his alleged threats. Whoa. Fake Scary. news. Yeah. Now, is that fake news? Who knows? I don't know. That's why we need the Facebook newsometer. <laughs> we need all the users on Facebook to judge whether that was newsworthy. That's right. Uh, finally, Skywatchers. Are you a Skywatcher? Uh, Do you look at the sky and watch? Is that Luke's That's ancestry? No. Hmm. No, I'm not. Okay. Skywatchers are in for a special treat at the end of January when a lunar trifecta fills the night skies. <laughs> a lunar trifecta? A pre-dawn super blue blood moon. Ew. Blue the Bloods. Lo- Blue Bloods. The lunar event on its yeah, it's Tom Selleck approved. The lunar event on ja- July 31st is the third in a string of recent supermoons when the moon is closer to the Earth in its orbit and appears about 14% brighter. It also ah. is a blue moon, which is the second full moon that happens in the same calendar month. The moon's first moon happened on January 1st. It all coincides with a total lunar eclipse, which is called a blood moon. The trifecta. When the moon is in the Earth. So you have... Red, blue, (laughs) So you have the super moon, right? And then you have the second full moon of the month, which is called a blue moon. Plus you have a lunar eclipse, which is called the blood moon. This rare trilogy of lunar events hasn't happened in more than 150 years. Wow, cool. Uh, The last blue blood moon was recorded back in March 31st of 1866. Whoa. Where were I you that year? That was a hard year, I remember. According to NASA, people living in North America, Alaska, or Hawaii, the eclipse will be visible before sunrise on the 31st of January. So do we all get to take like the day off of work, like w- when we had the uh, total solar eclipse? We didn't take the day off. We all uh, just sort of sloughed off in the afternoon for a minute or two. A lot of people took minute. the day off. Really? I went up to the roof and just laid out. I hung out with sports. Got a lunar... I hung out with Sunburn. Sports Nation out back by my I car. I, and I was That's where all the cool party. kids were. Yeah, hey, you had that little aluminum aluminum foil you sun that? panel. Uh-huh. You got a good tan that day. I made goggles out of cardboard. Mm-hmm. You were selling them on the street, uh-huh. too. With this one, you can go out like the Adams Family and moon bathe. Really? Did you ever see that? No. They sit no. out there with the same like <laughs> solar panel thing and like moon bathe and gather the moonlight instead of the to sunlight. That, that we just referenced chalky white look. We just referenced like six TV shows. Yeah, we're doing movies this morning. We're on top of things. I know. I just feels like it was a waste. Um. Anyway, like an adapted screenplay for a comic book. <laughs> hey, that is huge. Name one other comic book movie that has no, no, been, no. that the script was nominated Don't. for an Oscar. You should. Read the comic book for Infinity Wars. It's coming out this summer. It's good. Uh, that one, I guarantee you, will not be. Nominated. I know. I know. It's just there's Come a on. there's a bias uh, against comic books. Uh, 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 hey, here's the silver lining in that, though, what? Matt. There's a silver lining, just like Hugh that playbook. Jackman. Hugh Jackman, The Greatest Showman, was not nominated, but his film Logan was for Best Adapted Screenplay. I right. know, but which one's the best? What's well, the best work. The Logan got the much showman. better reviews. I know, but that what is that? But the greatest mean? showman is doing crazy numbers at the box I, office. Here's the deal: I don't trust the reviews anymore from Rotten Tomatoes. Hmm. Because they were so, botted. They were botted. They were. They were. Uh, they were bot. Yeah. They done did bot. Somebody done did bot them. Now you can look at them. I usually look at them for what is seen as being negative. Hmm. 
Oh, well, that's how you well, like no, But that's look. how I do like Amazon reviews too, yeah. right? So you go through and you don't look at the five stars, four stars. I look to see what broke because people oh, are really yeah. ticked off. They'll put a picture up there. Yeah. And you can see like, eh, is that cheap? Do I need this? You'll, you'll get like some insights like on shoes. They'll say it's a little tight in this mm-hmm. area or something. And you get some insights. It doesn't necessarily tell me yes or no to buy it, but it gives me some more information that seems a little bit more unbiased, but you also stay away from the people who just go nuts. Maybe there's like a, a product defect or yeah, something. Yeah, they had I, a bad I, day. Or I, I bought that balance bike for my for my daughter, and it huh. comes with no pedals, and the negative review was, it didn't have any pedals. Well, it was the, kind of the whole point it's of the a bike. balance bike. Yeah. yeah. So you you got to look at the yeah. good with the bad and kind of make your own judgment. Don't just look at the number and go, "Well, look at that," and move on like people do. I like how you think about it. Don't I like you... how you somehow got the fact that you bought shoes yeah. online. <laughs> I actually sent those into... back yesterday. You did? I did. They didn't make the cut. No, they're my my feet hurt in the shoes, and that shouldn't be a, no. a driving you know positive point of the shoe. Well, so I had to get rid of them. For the listeners that have never seen your feet. They're, they're big. What you do is you have to just imagine, like, if Fred Flintstone mm. took his shoes off, right? that'd be Terry. Hmm. What are you trying flat to say? Flat-footed. Are okay. you flat-footed? No. Ish. Uh-uh. Flat, wide. They're, they're a little wider than you But So want. to get you a pair of shoes for the what you do, which is incredible workouts with medicine balls. I need a specific type of shoe. And carrying tires. And now because I wear those shoes, all my other shoes have kind of gone that direction. They're kind of style rest- of a shoe. You like the wrestling shoe. Love those. As, Old as, Flatfoot South. Yes. Keep the shoe as flat as <laughs> Flatty, possible. they called him. Yeah. Flatfoot South. He's not flat-footed, though. For the positive reviews, though, here's a tip. Hold on. Where are you going? Look You're out, going back to that? Look out for uh, grammar mistakes. Oh, yes. Why? Because then you know it's probably not a legit review. If there's a grammar mistake? Like glaring grammar yeah. errors. Because there used to be bots there, right? That mm. would go and just feed a bunch of malarkey to people about Malarkey. It's, it's the worst kind of review. Ah! I think malarkey was nominated for best documentary short subject. No, I think the entire process is malarkey. Kind of because how many way. award ceremonies now have we had to hear about? See, SAG? I didn't even look it up, but apparently apparently, there's a new six-step process for the Oscars to avoid the, the fiasco they had last year when it came to the awards. Yeah, who cares? A six-step process to ensure the quality of the just awards do, process. Just do, one, just do one step. Could you please leave your phones in this basket before you go out and hand these awards out? Yeah, because yeah, you don't That's want it. people distracted. That's it. Six and, steps. And did they keep the same group of uh, auditors that are it's watching? The, yeah, it's still Ernst & Young. And uh, uh, I don't remember if they banned those two yes, for life. The, they said last year the two people involved are not involved in the – I mean they're still working at the company, but they're not involved in the I think the they're going to be presenters now. They weren't allowed <laughs> – to come to Do you remember studio. me? I ruined the Oscars. They're going to have their own talk show. <laughs> oh, it's fun. Well, so good. Tsunami warning has uh, has gone away. That's all good. Government's back in operation. Oscars are on board. Up next, Boyd Matheson will be joining us. We're going to be talking about the shutdown madness. Really, who's to blame? What was going on, really? And uh, also talk about Mitt Romney if he runs... What kind of impact will that have? That's all straight ahead right here on the Matt Townsend Show.
Welcome back, friends. You know, uh, perfect timing. We couldn't have uh, had a better guest lined up for today now that the uh, government is back to work. Or are they uh, joining us to talk about government shutdown, possible running of Mitt Romney, um, and uh, and other things political is uh, a wonderful man, Boyd, Ra- Boyd Matheson, who is the president of the Sutherland Institute, which is a conservative think tank. And uh, Boyd um, also has uh, built his own successful consulting firm advising national and state elected officials and uh, was also the chief of staff for Utah Senator Mike Lee back in Washington, D.C. Boyd, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, great to be with you, Matt. This is uh, perfect timing for us. I loved your op-ed piece um, about the shutdown and the insanity. What Can you just explain for us what came out of all of the shutdown? Did anybody win? No, and, and all the American people lost. Yeah. <laughs> that's, the, that's the important thing to, to understand is that – and this, I'm going to be an equal opportunity offender on this one Good. because the – the left and the right are both to blame. You, you had politicians who were solving their own political problems. Uh, no one was looking out for the American people. Uh, and this has really become the pattern in Washington. Um, the shutdown was, was really about all of the dysfunction that's going on there. And so it, I, I, I call it the industrial complex. You know, there's a, there's a reason why six out of the ten wealthiest counties in America are suburbs of Washington, D.C. Huh. They don't yeah. produce anything. They don't make cars, computers, widgets, anything. It's all power, money, and influence peddling. And so the people who won during the shutdown were political parties and outside groups. Uh, I'm sure every one of your listeners across the country got an email over the last few days. <laughs> if, <laughs> if they lean a little more towards the left, they got a, uh, an email True. from the, the Democrats saying, you know, if if this goes through, it's it's going to be you know grandma off the cliff, and uh, you know everything's going to heck in a handbasket by Friday. Send us fifty bucks, and <laughs> if you tilt more to the right, the Republicans sent you an email saying, you know, if if this thing doesn't get through, we're going to be on the road to serfdom and socialism. You know, send a hundred bucks, <laughs> and uh, and they they are not incentivized to solve the problems. Uh, because they they're actually using something, Matt. That, and I think you've talked about this before. You know this this idea of division. Uh, we're not nearly as divided as a country. Right. As those in pa- power want us to believe. I mean, despots and dictators have used this as a strategy for millennia. Right. Convince the people that we're so divided that you know it gives Congress an excuse to do nothing. It gives the president of either party the excuse to do what they want with executive orders. And what does it do? It maintains the status quo of who has the power, money, and influence. Uh, and it's, it, it, it doesn't seem to be getting better. It seems to be getting worse, or they're getting better at doing this. Um, and then, it, it, help me understand this. It was a spending bill to keep the government alive and, and um, to keep it financed. And yet we then got into – we had DACA thrown into it. Then eventually the building of the wall thrown into one of the offers – um, plus the child welfare and the child insurance, the CHIP program. Everybody was throwing everything in there, but it was just – it just seemed more and more complicated with every turn. That's right. And I, I, that goes all the way back to Madison, I think, who said, uh, you know, it will do no good uh, if you – even if you have elected people uh, from the people, if the laws are so voluminous that nobody can read them. And and that's part of uh, you said it just right, Matt. It's they've made it so complicated and so full of things 
uh, that are not connected. Uh, everyone complains about conflict in, in Washington, and conflict is not the problem. Collusion is mm. the problem. That was the big shocker to me going back to Washington as a non-political person. I spent 25 years doing business consulting, uh, and I was shocked yeah. at at how much collusion goes on. And it's you know you you cannot get 20 trillion dollars in debt through conflict. <laughs> uh, and, and and you could ask my wife. <laughs> you guys have tried. <laughs> you know, yeah, because yeah. you know if I go if I go home tonight and I say, "Honey, I've been thinking about it," which always makes her nervous. <laughs> uh, if I say, you know, I've been thinking we actually need a bigger big screen TV because you know Super Bowl's coming up. Uh, it is going to blow a hole in our budget, but I, I think we can make it work. If we have conflict about that, we're not buying the TV and we're right. staying in budget. <laughs> but if we collude and I come in and I say, "Now, honey, I I know you've been looking at that new couch set and." You know, some new things for the dining room. And if we if we bundle all of those things together, yes, it will bowl, blow a bigger hole in our budget. But I'm I'm certain we can, you know, figure it out as we go along and we collude. Then we make a bad decision and we get further in debt. And that's exactly what happens in Washington uh, every day. And that's what we're seeing is all of these things getting tossed in. And if we just do them one at a time, I'm I am still someone who passionately and firmly believes that we could solve 94.5% of the immigration issue in an afternoon on the floor of the United States Senate and on the floor of the House because everyone agrees. Is, is that everyone, true? Yeah, they all. you hear that everybody agrees. Um, but then is it what, just the outliers that make enough noise that they, that they create more chaos about it? If everyone agrees, why can't we solve it? Because you, you've got such a concentration of power in the leadership of both parties. And they are running, they're raising money off mm. of it. They're running political campaigns off it. They're trying to win elections, using it as a wedge issue. Again, convincing us that we're too divided yeah. uh, as a country. And it, it maintains the status quo. And, and that's the real challenge. And, and part of that, Matt, is on we the people. You know, we, we complain about this. We complain about our representatives. And yet, Every election cycle, 94% of the incumbents win re-election. Really? That's true. And that's, yeah. that's, that's on us. That's, on, that's a we the people problem. Not a, we, we can't blame that one on Washington. So we, we, the, parties, the parties have power, but really the party leaders have power. This isn't really about 100 senators or whatever. This is about you know, four to six leaders in the Senate. That, that, uh, that's exactly right. And that's the problem with running a government by continuing resolution. It concentrates all the power uh, into the hands of three or four people. It gets done behind closed doors. And then you get what you described, Matt, as the throwing everything in the kitchen sink yeah. into a bill. It's, you know, it's sort of like if you're going home tonight and, and your wife says, hey, honey, can you pick up some bread, milk, and eggs on the way home? And so you stop at the store, you pick up your bread, milk, and eggs, you go to the cash register, and they ring you up, and they say, well, you know, you, you can't just buy bread, milk, and eggs. Uh, at this <laughs> store, to get your bread, milk, and eggs, you got to buy a, a bucket of nails, a half ton of iron ore, a yeah. Barry Manilow album, and a book on cowboy poetry. Yeah. And, and even if you say, I don't need any of those, I don't want any of those, they say, well, then you can't buy your bread, yeah, milk, sorry. and eggs. And so we end up with these all-or-nothing bills that nobody has read. Um, that nobody has gone into the details on. There's lots of things little tucked in there. 
by the the folks behind closed doors, and uh, and that's the real challenge in Washington mm. right now. Again, we're speaking with Boyd C. Matheson, president of the Sutherland Institute, which is a conservative think tank. Today, though, he's he's playing bipartisan as we beat up the uh, as we beat up really the 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 whole spirit that's going on in D.C. of um, it's really about certain leadership. And, and by the way, Boyd, is this we hear so much about President Trump? Is can the president sway this process more effectively, or is he part of the problem? How do you see his handling of the entire shutdown insanity? Sure, you know the the president plays an interesting role in this, and 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 what the president ought to do is demand that the Senate pick up what the house, the house did their job in September. So the the way the Constitution outlines it is there's supposed to be 13 bills budget bills, appropriations bills, hmm. and you vote on each one independently. So you fund the military, you take a vote on that, you take you vote on national parks, you vote on education pieces, and that's how it's supposed to work. And the House actually did that in September. They passed them all through. They passed them all through, and they are sitting on Mitch McConnell's desk. Hmm. And so what the president should do is say, Let's do this right. Let's get back to regular order. And this goes back a a long way. This is not new to President Trump. Uh, During the Obama administration, they never had a budget. Uh, It was all continuing resolution. And uh, and so the president should – I think there's a chance for the president to lead there and, again, to say let's let's go back to regular order Uh, because that's the way it was designed and that's – the country always functions better because then then we can actually have – an open, honest debate in front of the American people. Right. Because because everyone yeah. would have had to have voted before the midterms. They all yeah, would have had right. to lay down their vote on if we're going to send the appropriation for uh, military and the next appropriation. And so I guess that would put everybody out – that would put everybody out with their vote up there. That's right, which is exactly what the incumbents don't want. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's going on. They're, they're all just maneuvering, right, for yeah. this next year. Yeah, that's right. And so that's you know that's there, it's hard to be accountable when everything is done in these big sweeping generalities that nobody really understands. Um, and again, that's on that's on we the people to demand more. We, you hear the leaders in Washington all the time say, you know, it's complicated, it's hard. Trust us. And I think we need to flip that. I think Washington needs to trust the American people. Um, and I think this is important for your listeners, too, Matt, that while uh, politics has failed in this country, for sure, but, but America will not. And, and the reason America won't fail and, and the reason why I can be really pessimistic on our politicians, but I am, I am more bullish on this country than I have hmm. ever been. And it's because our politicians have almost never led. It's community. Oh, really? Yeah. This is historical. Oh, I'm sorry. This is a historical thing. The politicians aren't the leaders. The people are. That's right. I mean, even back to the, you know, we celebrate the Declaration of Independence as an extraordinary document, which it is. But it was not a leading document. The Revolutionary War had been going for 18 months before the politicians got to put it down on paper. Now, it was an important galvanizing document, for sure, but not a leading document. Another example, 1947, Jackie Robinson breaks the color barrier in Major League Baseball. Hmm. Seventeen years later, Congress got around to passing meaningful civil rights legislation. <laughs> yeah. Even simple things. Here's a, here's a no-brainer for you, Matt. Mother's Day. Congress voted against having a Mother's <laughs> Day over 20 times. Oh, I bet their mothers we, were so mad. 
sweet lady from West Virginia took it, tried to get it passed. They kept shutting her down. So what did she do? She went back home to West Virginia, worked her tail off, and passed it in the West Virginia state legislature. West Virginia was the first state to have hmm. Mother's Day. And then she went to Connecticut, and then she went to Vermont, and then she went to New Hampshire. And after every state in the nation had passed Mother's Day, then and only then did Congress boldly step forward and declare, we shall have a Mother's Day. So, again, <laughs> not leaders. It's, it's, it's the culture and community that lead and the politicians follow. And we have to remember that as citizens. And we have to reassert that to recognize that we don't need someone to waltz in from Washington. It's what happens in our homes, in our neighborhoods and in our communities. And that's why America won't fail. Mm. That's great. And, and Boyd, one of the things I uh, was interested to watch, you were you were thinking of running for Senate. Am I correct? Was yeah, it in I, your I head? <laughs> I entertained those crazy thoughts at one point. Yeah. So so in your head, can can a person can one person, male, female, can they change this system? Can one person do it? Because we, we hear so much about John McCain battling uh, brain cancer now, but also has a strength of voice right now to basically say what needs to be said. Some are saying Mitt Romney may go in and take that place um, if, if Mitt decides to run. But can, can, a, can a senator – does it matter anymore if for one senator um, or does it take some other movement? No, it, it, we, we have to make sure we never – underestimate the power of one voice and whether that's one senator or one member of congress uh, or one citizen uh, that the nation has always moved not just on the minority but the minority of the minority hmm. and sometimes we think oh, I'm, I'm just one person what can one person do uh, there's a great quote by william morris that says one person with an idea in their head is in danger of being called crazy two people with the same idea may be foolish but not crazy. Ten people with the same idea, and they start to act. A hundred people, and they start. Others start to take notice. A thousand people, and they start to have results, tangible and real. Mm. Ten thousand, and they can change the course of a community. A hundred thousand, they can change the course of a country. And why only a hundred thousand? Why not a hundred million or more? It's you and I who have to answer that question. And so we have to be willing to step in and step up uh, and speak out. Uh, and, and and as a country. And as communities, we have to get comfortable having some uncomfortable conversations, whether that's about opioids, homelessness, whether that's about religious liberty or LGBT rights. Uh, we're at a time in our country where we, we need to have some courageous vulnerability and start having uncomfortable conversations uh, and not just abdicate those to somebody off in, in Washington, D.C. Yeah. That's um, it, it's got to be fun for you too, as uh, as a husband with to Debbie, five children, four grandchildren. Um, you also you speak with such hope of our future and our country. Um, what what you know? If you had a magic wand, what are some things that you would like to see happen? Um, and what are some changes you would like to make? So I, I would love to see the Senate go back to regular order and real debate. Uh, you know, when when you if you're if you're crazy enough to ever turn on C-SPAN uh, <laughs> and you, you'll see someone giving a speech and and if they would only just zoom the, the the camera out a little bit, you would see that they're speaking to an empty chamber. Uh, mostly there's just the interns that are sitting on the steps of the rostrum. Yeah. <laughs> bored to tears. 
And I think they had to lock everybody in there every day for at least three hours. And we ought to have real dialogue and debate about where we are as a country and where we're going. Um, that would be the very first thing I would do uh, is just get it back to we can have these conversations and we need to have them in front of the American Yeah, exactly. Uh, I would also really focus on this idea of elevated dialogue. Uh, too often we, we allow the loud and strident voices on either end of an issue to, to keep us a safe distance from actually having the conversation that will solve the problem. And, you know, we, we more than we have a political polarization problem in the country, we, we have a growing contempt problem, with, with contempt being that belief in the utter worthlessness of another individual. Mm. And with Facebook and social media, if someone disagrees with us, we just we just blast them. And we do that because we're if we can convince ourselves that they have no worth, then we sleep a little better at night or we feel a little more justified in in calling things out. We need to go beyond cable news that, you know, get the somebody from the left and someone from the right and they shout talking points <laughs> right. past each other for seven and a half minutes and we call it television. Uh, we need to engage in a different kind of dialogue around principles, uh, because when we when we start with principles and then we move to policy, we, we get good results. And we're, we're doing it all wrong. We're living in this politics first, last, and always, uh, and this growing contempt that really prevents us from, from having conversations that would lift everybody. And we would find that we can solve most of the issues we face as a country and as communities and even as families. Mm. Uh, if we listen a little more, talk a little less, uh, and uh, I always say, speak in anger and you'll give the, the best speech you'll ever live to regret. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, if we could learn to just step back a little bit, uh, I think that would that would do wonders for the country. It's powerful. It's also powerful to see um, when somebody has a voice, um, like uh, like a McCain or a Senator Flake, who isn't running again and and has the freedom to kind of say what needs to be said. I guess a lot of them are directing stuff to the president. But it'd be powerful to have some that also could direct it to the Senate and take on even Senate leadership because they're safe in their in their um, in their own uh, office. Some yeah. are saying Mitt Romney would have some of that freedom coming out of Utah. Do you think? Do you think he would be such a trans? Uh, I don't know transformational figure that he would take on the status quo. I, I think he could, and I think that's really the only reason for him to run. Right. You know, I, I wish the, the Senator Flakes and McCain's and, and others uh, had had a little more of that courage going in and not on the way on out. On the way out, right. Um, but I think if Mitt Romney were to attack this like a Bain Capital turnaround, <laughs> uh, that would be good for the country. And, and imagine this, Matt. This is something interesting to, to think through. Um, I, I believe there's, there are two people who could <clears throat> excuse me, walk into the Republican conference on January 5th of 2019 hmm. and challenge Mitch McConnell to be the leader and win. And one is Mitt Romney. The other happens to be Marco Rubio, uh, because everybody loves Marco Rubio. Interesting. Uh, but, <clears throat> but imagine this. So imagine if, if Mitt Romney did that, and then he surrounded himself with some real policy folks like Marco Rubio, Ben Sass from Nebraska, Mike Lee from Utah, to people who are really passionate about good policy based on principle. 
And then they tag team with, with Paul Ryan in the house. Hmm. So ima- imagine this scenario where you could, you could have Mitt Romney and Paul Ryan actually having a bigger impact on the direction of the country from the opposite end of Pennsylvania Avenue. Right. Than if they had won an election and been sitting in the Oval Office at the other end of yeah. Pennsylvania Avenue. Uh, it's plausible. It's possible. Uh, and, I, and I hope it happens. Because I think, I think that would change the dynamic. It would get things back to what are the right principles and the right policies for the country. Uh, it's also interesting, you know, President Obama really never had his own agenda. It was really Harry Reid and Nancy Pelosi on the other end in Congress sending their agenda down the street that to him. President Obama had to sign. Um, so I think there's some really fascinating things. I do think a lot of people are thinking, oh, well, you know, Mitt Romney is just going to have this, you know, cage match with the president. Hmm. Um, and I don't and I don't see that people who are expecting that, I think, will be sadly disappointed. Um, I think they're they agree on a lot of the policy pieces. They'll disagree on a lot of the, the style and, and approach to things. Uh, but the one thing you have to learn and I think the one thing Mitt Romney understands about President Trump that most people in Washington don't is that President Trump is 100 percent transactional. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's not, all about the transaction, principle. not yeah, principle. So yeah. Yeah. So that's why he can, you know, he can cut a deal with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer on Monday, and then he can absolutely <laughs> annihilate them on Twitter right. at three o'clock on Tuesday morning. And, and so everything is a transaction. I think part of the problem in the Senate is Mitch McConnell believes he has a relationship with the president uh, because they're of the same political party. Right. But but the president has shown he's not afraid to uh, fire a shot across the bow or even a shot at the bow that's right. of, of Mitch McConnell if he disagrees on a certain issue. Yeah. So I think I think because Mitt comes from from a businessman background, he understands the nature of of transactions, and so I think he could make deals and and get policy things through with the president because they agree on a lot of those things in terms of uh, the economy and jobs and opportunities for for working families, um, and and then I think they could, they will have a, a nice debate about other things. And That's it, right. That won't be a problem. And, uh, you know, Nimitz also already knows how to work with Democrats. He he ran a, the most Democratic state, maybe, possibly, um, in the country. So powerful stuff. Boyd, we appreciate you. Thank you so much for your insight, your time. I know you're a very busy man, and uh, we, we just appreciate hearing uh, your take on this. Again, Boyd Matheson from the Sutherland Institute, um, shooting very, very straight with us on uh, the chaos that's going on the insanity, quite honestly, that's going on in D.C. And really, it's about leadership and um, the fact that most of the senators, most of our, our congressmen and women, they're, they're basically beholden to their leadership in, in, their, um, in, their, in, in politics. It's not even up to what they want, per se. Powerful, powerful opportunity, I think, for leadership. We will continue the journey, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends. Uh, Boyd Matheson is the guy that watches um, C-SPAN and watches it faithfully. There's one. But how powerful would it be, honestly, if they did lock our senators in chamber for three hours a day to do nothing but debate 
the immigration issues. Turn on the uh, the heater. Uh-huh. Turn it way up. Turn up the heater. Mm. Sweat them out. Sweat them out. Okay, so uh, what headlines? What other news do you have for us, Terry? Tim Cook apparently went to, um, i trying to see, Apple CEO. Colli- college in Exis- Essex? Essex. Essex, Essex, England. And he told the, uh, the, the students he was talking to, they asked him uh, about social media. He said he, if he had kids, which he doesn't, but he has a nephew, yeah. he goes, I wouldn't let kids use social media. No, I, I, yeah, I heard that. That's, they tried. So, us, so Apple's, the head yeah. of Apple says, I wouldn't let my kids near social media. No, just wouldn't even. He says, <laughs> it's bad. Your kid's not going to benefit from it. Don't do that. Wow. Okay. Now That's they good they to tried know. a social media platform with Apple called Ping or something. I don't know. It was something several years ago, but yeah, they, yeah. they they went away from it because they Ping. they found out it was very um it was difficult. It was a, a concept they weren't really uh comfortable with mm-hmm. and they went off and decided we're, we're going to go more hardware to really? look at that stuff rather than take care of the actual software and the yeah. actual platform. You guys can take care of that. Sure. So, yeah. That makes uh, sense. Amazon opened their cashier-free grocery store. Oh, really? Good. Up in Seattle. They had some some bumps and bruises along the way, but it's finally opened. And the idea is the shelves are weighted, so when you take a product off, it knows you've taken that product. Uh-huh. And when you walk through uh, all the barcodes, and there's all these sensors and cameras that know what you're taking, and it just throws it into your Amazon account. That's great. So when you, you, there's no, nobody stops you walking out the door. You just go. Now, they did some testing. Uh-huh. And they just threw some random situations at it. Like, what do you do if a kid decides just to open up a candy bar and eat it right there in the store? And the, oh. the, the system wasn't ready for that. Well, they just need to weigh you on the way in, and then they yeah. can weigh you on the way out. So little little hiccups like that they had to kind of iron out. But yeah, so automated store. That makes sense. Will don't that you, spread it? I don't know if it's going to go everywhere, but we'll see. Don't you feel a little naughty when you, when you want to eat something before you pay for it? You open up the wrapper, and then you have to take the empty wrapper and have them scan that. Yeah. I feel you like, almost feel like you're getting away with well, something. Yeah, and it, yeah, it just shows you have no self-control. <laughs> you can't even wait until Sorry. it's paid for. I couldn't control myself. I ate three donuts. And the ratings for the uh, AFC-NFC playoff games over the weekend. How'd they do? They were a, a, a respite from the, the shutdown nonsense, yeah. right? Yeah. So the NFC game, that was the Eagles and who did they play? The Vikings. The Vikings. Uh, that earned a 27.4 rating, which wow. is about 46 million people watched that game. Holy cow. That's almost the Bachelor numbers. Just like five bachelors. <laughs> uh, the AFC game with the Patriots and the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars, 27. Wow. They're also, doing all right. and 48 million viewers watched that game. Yeah. Now, that game was more intense. Intense. There was more to it. The NFC game was kind of settled. I oh, checked out at halftime. But yeah, so big numbers, people watching. Football still a big hit. All right, we'll continue uh, the fun and the journey straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back. You know, we were just talking about the fact that uh, the AFC-NFC football championship games got such high ratings, but then do the Oscars get as high of ratings as football? I think it depends on the year. Yeah, I mean, it, it will never get as many as much uh, ratings as Like the football. Super Bowl, right. Right, but I think it depends on the year. I think this could be a big year just because of all of the really controversial issues that yeah. are going on But right aren't now. there a lot of movies this year that nobody's heard of? 
Uh, yeah. Like the shape of water. Shape of water, not many people have seen. Not many people have seen three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Not many people have seen Phantom Thread or Lady Bird yeah, or I mean, Call Me By Your Name. Yeah, I'm not going to watch it just for so that reason. So last year. And one of those films will win, by the way. 4% four per, really? drop on the Oscar ratings last year drew 34 million viewers. <gasps> not quite what they just drew in the AFC and NFC the championship two games. football games got 46, 46 million. and 48 million. So a little bit more watching those, not a little bit more, and a couple, you know, several million. I think more. more people will watch this year, though, just because of what happened last year with the mix-up and all the issues that are going on yeah. right now. But, ah. but it is the most watched non-sports event of the year. Is it, is Jimmy it Kimmel did a great job. Really? Yeah, he'll do a great job again. Yeah, Jimmy Kimmel's talent you know and he's he always brings up his cute kid <laughs> so it's all good it was the last year it says it was the lowest since 2008 really yeah okay now which one would you prefer to watch football hands okay down. now what if i told you if you watched the oscars you could have your favorite meal if you watched football you had to eat your least favorite meal football really yeah I just wouldn't eat. Hmm. It's. I'd rather even watch European football. Oh wow. Whoa. Yeah, me too. Football. I'd watch soccer. What about if you had to watch it while getting a root canal? Football. Whoa. Because they'll knock you out. Yeah, they give then you, you some get good the benefit, stuff. but they don't knock you out in this scenario. Oh wow, he's just oh. making it just unreasonable. Okay. Then, if I, then if, if I had to have a root canal, then I'd probably choose to go watch the Oscars. But I think we got gotcha. I think it would feel the same. <laughs> it's all the same. Okay, uh, what would you do? Go talk to your friends about that. Uh, we'll continue the journey, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier lives. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, along with Jeff and Terry. The gang is gathered. Jeff is back, and it just so happens that the minute he's back, the government is back in... Uh, in full running. You're welcome, America. <laughs> when you leave, the government shuts down. When you come back, the government is uh, running again. Something is fishy. Hmm. <laughs> Do you care to explain where you went and how you shut down the government when you were gone? Really, it had nothing to do with that. I just didn't want to come back until the Oscar nominations were out, so I had something to talk about. Really? Yeah, and I noticed. Let's give them something to talk about. Okay, people won't be talking about the Oscars. I'm sure this year. Not as you keep singing like that. Half of the, I mean, at least half of the films nobody's even heard of. Right. So, I think that's kind of disappointing. Hmm. I, I want the Oscars to be about maybe three or four or five movies. 
It used to be the good. It ones. used to be five the five best films, but now it's they just want to be more inclusive. They want everybody's work to be appreciated and spotlighted. And it's interesting because even when they announced the nominees this morning, they made they created these whole videos with celebrities, all of which were women, by the way, and just to announce the lesser known categories. Like makeup and hairstyling, like sound effects editing, sound mixing, things like that. Yeah. And it's interesting because I think everybody's shouting and, and screaming for that right now to have every to be more inclusive, not just as far as diversity is concerned, but let's recognize everybody's work. Let's recognize you know, let's recognize the PAs and the caterers. And by the way, we've got a segment coming up with Schick where he interviews one of the lesser known nominees. Ah. Uh, so Schick gets it right this time. Good Schick. And uh, but the thing is, I mean, let's be honest. If you if you had the opportunity to recognize everybody's work. Yeah. How important would it be if let's say, for instance, we're going to give you an opportunity to recognize everybody's work. It's going to be great. All the lesser-known people are now going to be known. Well, you'd, you'd think that's great, right? That would be a wonderful thing. Yeah, but we're gonna, it's going to add two hours to the Oscar ceremony. Well, but here's the deal. <laughs> so in a, in, a, in a movie like Coco, yes. um, the work of the animators, the work of a lot of people behind the scenes really is more powerful and important to the movie than the voice – the voices, aren't they? Yeah, but I th- – But the I, voices get the attention. I think if people knew how much more time it was going to add to these award ceremonies, yeah, no, I think right. people would be like, uh, never mind. We you're take right. that back. Right. We don't want to be that. We don't want to be that uh, diversified. What they really want to celebrate isn't everybody – and everything they want – well, and they also need to make sure their careers are moving forward. But they really just want to celebrate the five big stars and the song. Speaking of songs. This one was nominated for the, Best Original Song. This one always makes you cry. He, he always gets emotional here. I fell asleep. It's a great song, though. <laughs> it's a great song. There's a lot of wonderful music, and yet we're going to spend all this time hearing from the leading actor and leading actress and supporting actor. And no, you won't. Just watch something else. That's right. Yeah. There's great. N- the there's... song from Greatest Showman. This is me. Also nominated. Uh, I think it's between that one and this one. Yeah, I think it's going to be the Greatest Showman. Not to no. Um, okay, Sorry. so all of uh, all of the Oscars again. You somehow you just totally jumped in on the lead again. Yeah, and you, you just brought, brought it the up. Oscars. You brought it up in passing. Like I was like bringing it up to move to the next thing, and hmm. you pulled us over, pulled the camper out, started you know get out of the, leveling. You the got camper. the cooler out of the back. You started making sandwiches. It's like, yeah. dude, slow down. Every time I think I'm out, he pulls me back in. <laughs> It's a film I've never seen, by the way, if you can believe that. That's one you haven't seen. Yeah. Well, there's always tomorrow. Or this afternoon. Didn't Annie say that? I think she said the sun will come out tomorrow. This afternoon. Bet your bottom dollar. That this afternoon. Uh, Moving on to the headlines now. Let's get to Hmm. Terry, see if he can... uh, pull out a non-movie reference as he does the headlines. Senate Majority Leader uh, Chuck... 
Chick Chuck. Chuck, Chuck Schumer. Schumer. Chick Schumer would be a good name, too, but that's Shumway, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's what we're trying. Where did Chick come from? So, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer announced Monday down the Senate floor that his party will provide enough votes to pass a Republican plan to reopen the federal government till at least February 8th, the bipartisan deal, contingent upon a promise from Majority Leader Mitch McConnell that he will open debate on an immigration bill protecting so called dreamers from deportation. That's where a lot of Democrat supporters are having a problem. You're huh. banking on the majority leader to keep a promise. Yeah. And he has every How's that everything motivating him, you know, for party ideal, their 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 plans for the next few months is to not follow through with that. Yeah, right, right. And you're just going to okay, he promised. Good. Let's let's open the government. They feel like the Democrats have caved. It's taking a lot of heat at the moment from their supporters. Right. In the end, 33 Democrats flipped to vote for the temporary spending bill, including uh, Senator Schumer, Dick Durbin, uh, Sherrod Brown, Tammy Baldwin. Among the holdouts were senators who have been floated as potential Democratic presidential candidates, including Kirsten uh, Gillibrand, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, and Kamala Harris. Oh, yeah. And Rand Paul and Mike Lee both voted against it because Mike Lee wants a regular order. Where you're going through the actual process of the Senate, and Rand Paul doesn't vote for anything. So right, Rand's just, just that's Rand's brand. Right. I don't vote for nothing. He needs a bumper sticker. Do you think people in Kentucky like that? Uh sure. He wants a balanced budget. It's never balanced. He's not going to vote for it. Uh, that, that's such a great position. I want balance. I want it to be balanced. Yeah. I just want a balanced budget. You can't fight. I mean, and you can argue, but I mean, he's just going to say what's what's yeah. bad about a balanced budget. Right. Let's be fiscally responsible. It's, yeah, it's the one thing. It's the one point. Senator Ted Cruz, he's been kind of quiet. Yeah, Ted's really been heard very much quiet. Him. He spoke up yesterday in a rare or a short brief press availability. He said he claimed that he has consistently opposed shutdowns. Really? Yes. Despite him shutting down the government in 2013 over Obamacare funding. Yeah. Senate Democrats oppose everything, resist everything, shut everything down. The conservative senator lamented during his press availability. This sounds pretty familiar. MSNBC's Kate Hunt uh, shot back referring to Cruz's demands in the 2013 ordeal. Yeah. He came, he shot back saying, no, 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 no. I wanted to open the government. They go, well, yeah, but you wanted, you would open the government if they defunded Obamacare. <laughs> and he's like, no, 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 the Democrats wouldn't open the government. It was a reasonable request. Right. Defund the president's signature uh, piece of legislation. Right. Like, well, no. And so he's trying to, he goes, he went to the, he goes, I went to the floor asking unanimous consent to reopen the government and defund Obamacare. He leaves that part out. That yeah. last part, the defund Obamacare part. He says, so when Hunt noted that he actually stood in the way of opening the government, Cruz snapped back in his role, says his role in the 2013 shutdown is a wonderful media narrative. Yeah. Uh, Do you think he misremembers? Yes. Is that an approach there? Does he not remember everything? Yeah. <laughs> He's just, I think he wants to play but doesn't want to play on certain things. Okay. Certain topics. Yeah. So he's just going to kind of be quiet he's and gonna lay low for a while. And he'll try to lead other. other it seems ways. like he could because he's from Texas. It seems like yeah. Texas senators should be leading the immigration issues. R- reports are he's vulnerable in upcoming oh. elections. So maybe, that's so maybe why he's, he's trying to just try to play, play nice. quiet and play mm-hmm. nice and not ruffle feathers. Yeah. Uh, President Trump's need to dis- uh, need to dis- disagree with his advisors may be borderline pathological. Hmm. Some aides have gone so far as to diagnose the president with defiance disorder. Oh, really? 
The Washington Post reports citing revelations from a forthcoming book written by former Fox News host and Post reporter Howard Kurtz. Yeah. Kurtz's book, Media Madness, Donald Trump, the Press, and the War Over the Truth, explains that some of the president's top staffers privately coined the term for Trump seeming a seeming compulsion to do whatever his advisors are most strongly urging against. Well, you know, there is a there is a defiance disorder, and it yeah. is, it's affiliated with attention deficit disorder. Right, and the New York Times' mm. Maggie Haberman pointed that out, says this is an actual disorder. It's a valid malady yeah. listed the formal psychiatric so, diagnostic text. It's not just yeah. a catchphrase for people So you got to be careful. Everybody's so, got to yeah. be careful there. But, but he is fairly defiant, and he does <laughs> like to do the opposite of what you think he would do. Hmm. Isn't this great how President Trump is fueling the economy? There are all these books being <laughs> yeah. written about oh, him. Yeah. I think the real point of that is there's another book coming out. <laughs> By Kurt. Is it Kurtzman? But Kurtz. Kurtz is, I mean, that's a pretty known name. Right. Huh. And so, I mean, I didn't know it, more but... inside the White House, you know, sort of palace intrigue Boy, type writing. And a lot of insiders that have loose lips. Yeah. He's got a... Yeah. And derogatory things to say, too. Right. I mean, he's your boss. Yeah. Play nice. I guess. Respect. Or at least don't put your name on it, because then he just looks in the index and you're the next target, right? That's right. Uh, And finally, Naomi Parker Fraley. F-R-A-L-E-Y. Who? A California woman who posed for the famous Rosie the Riveter poster died (gasps) Saturday. That's right. Wow. Her family confirmed this Monday. Fraley, 96 at the time of her death, posed for the picture while working at the Alameda, California factory in 1942. The famous picture which showed Fraley flexing her arm with the caption, We Can Do It, became an iconic feminist image. But for decades, uh, she was not identified as the model in the picture, and scholars mistakenly concluded that a different female factory worker had posed for the portrait. She was only widely recognized, or she was widely only recognized after the real Rosie the Riveter in 2016, after a scholar, James J. Kimball, published an article revealing the findings of a six-year investigation into finding out who the real Rosie the Riveter was. Whoa. Wow. A six-year investigation to find out this picture that was taken. And then they found her. Yeah. What year was that? The picture was taken? Yeah. 1942. Wow. Mm. Working in an Alameda factory, probably. Well, it doesn't say what she was working on. Rosie the Riveter. Yeah. And it's funny now because uh, she's flexing, but she had the arms common of a female in the 40s, Mm. not the arms of a riveter female (laughs) in 2018. Right. Because, yeah, she doesn't, she, what was, what, uh, she's not a gladiator. You know, like those gladiator arms. Storm or ice. But she was, she could see resolve in her face. We can't do it. That's what she was saying. Was she French? No. Oh, okay. Just checking. That's cool. That's a really cool time uh, or piece of Americana right there. Absolutely. May she rest in peace. Um, Okay, so we've got our headlines. Tsunami warning uh, down still could be a problem for those up in Alaska. Yeah. But California, the uh, British Columbia had their whole coastline was part of the alert. I'm not sure if they've backed off that. But, I mean, they had an earthquake out in the deep part of the ocean, which usually leads to that miles out, I guess. Yeah. Not even really that deep, apparently. No, which might be the reason why it's dissipated quickly. We feel like it's uh, it's a really good place to get a lot of crab mm. 
and because there's a shelf right there, and, and yeah. once they drop off into the shelf, it's yeah. Anyway, uh, they're like lemmings just marching. Terry out and I love the crabbing out there. <laughs> it's a great show. <laughs> out and, near and the Aleutian Islands. I, during this run of Deadliest Catch, the show we're talking about, I I went from standard definition to high definition. Whoa. Right. So standard definition, it's all right. You're just watching yeah. the show. But once you go to high def, all of a sudden you're on a boat in the middle of the ocean. There's ice. There are you know, sledgehammers knocking chunks of ice off the sides of boats. You know, people getting crushed by crab pots. and all. You're like, okay, I can see why the high definition works now. <laughs> you know, you can watch sports and you kind of see the real life sort of view of it. But once the, I, I watched that show, I'd like, oh, okay, I, I just, I, I'll buy into a high def. For a long time, I never got high definition. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm fine. I can just watch standard def. I'll be okay. No, but now you understand. But I got that. I'm like, oh, I have to have, you know, high yeah. def. Got to do this yeah. now. So, because it's, it's a good presentation. Right. No, you have to ignore, there's some things where it's just kind of, maybe some manufactured drama. Sure. Just through camera editing and. And music and like okay, so nothing happened there. Okay, moving on. But it's well, it's interesting to watch what they go through to do that job. But everything is more exciting when your workplace is constantly moving. That's the other thing. You watch the they put new guys on these boats and they just get sick. Oh yeah. Have you been deep sea fishing before? No. No. Oh, it's horrible. I mean, it's it's actually very got, fun, but got, it's nauseating. I got motion sickness on a cruise ship. Yeah. Well, by the way, not to be too graphic, but when people get sick on a sh- on a deep sea fishing vessel um i'm talking about like just the sport ones not yeah. the big ones that are the out commercial yeah. ones yeah but once everybody starts getting sick over the side of the boat i'm telling you the fish start hitting like crazy <laughs> i mean it's illegal it's chumming but yeah, it's bad <laughs> but it is it is it is the funnest thing in the world except the ride out there is nauseating yeah. And then you get out there, and you're out there for six hours, eight hours, and it's up and down all day long. But then a fish on, it's fun. Mm. So you're back on land, and then you still think oh, yeah. everything's moving. No, right. Then you, yeah, it is the, and then you go to dinner that night, and really nobody usually wants seafood. <laughs> <laughs> Can I have a hamburger, please? Yeah. <laughs> but you feel like the entire restaurant do is you, moving. Do you feel obligated to eat fish? I mean, you spent your entire yeah. day fishing. It's pretty amazing because you'll bring in your fish, and then they mark your fish, and then they'll put it on ice, hmm. and you can have your fish sent home. Like my grouper, please. Thank you. Yeah, it's pretty. It, it is amazing too because you also don't know what you're going to pull in. Right. You might Could pull a in tire, a shark. Maybe it's a shoe. Yeah, it's like a license plate. <laughs> you might pull in a license plate. <laughs> no, but it, like Iowa. I love How it. did this get in the I ocean? Loved it. So I'm going to try to get up to the Aleutian Islands. Really? Maybe get me some crab. Mm. Don't forget your little patches. Gotta, yeah. Got to put my patch on. It could be fun. You, mean, you could you have your my kids put the little stickers on Arr. you. No. Get okay. over here, kids. Now, that would be amazing. Honey, you don't put your Dramamine patch over your eye. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Dad. Oh, how fun. Okay, let's get to the empty news. Uh, Jeffrey Liam Simpson back to um, anchor the empty news report. Jeffrey? So, a lot of crazy weather. And uh, a lot of times it uh, it it makes things worse for us, right? Yeah, it's, it's killing shovel. people, it's stranding right. people. Well, here's here's uh, one good thing that came out of this snowstorm. Listen to this: snow stopped a North Dakota man from escaping after he shoplifted four thousand dollars worth of merchandise from a Hobby Lobby store Wednesday. What? 
this has got to be the nerdiest heist ever. <laughs> the Hobby Lobby? Come on. Like, I need some grommets. <laughs> You're stealing grommets and dowels. Police say that Dustin Johnson, 22, spent seven hours filling up a shopping cart with thousands of dollars worth of products. He wheeled the cart of stolen goods out of the store, but it got stuck in the snow and tipped over. Johnson tripped, abandoned the cart, and fled the store on foot, police say. Police say Johnson left behind his wallet, which contained his identification with his address. Police arrested him at his home. (laughs) You know, that is another good sign that you're a millennial. You're a millennial. When you lose your wallet during a Hobby Lobby heist, you're a millennial. <laughs> you are totally millennial. Wow. You also um, you also don't need um, – uh, we, we had a, a, a theft recently near our house where the guy – actually, it was near Terry's bank where the guy left his keys. He left his car keys and couldn't uh, – and, and that's how they caught him. Really? You can't leave your car keys. You don't do that. No. That wow. gets you every time. Yeah. Um, you know, I teased this earlier. You often give Shik Shumway a really hard time on the show. Well, Shik always seems to show up almost at a at the right place, but at, at the wrong time, like a day late. Sometimes you can't hear what's being said. Remember, he showed up at the inauguration, but I think he was it's a day early. A day early. Yeah, yeah, they were still setting up the yeah. uh, the scaffolding and the yeah. bleachers. One and... time there was the – he showed up somewhere where they were like making all this noise and then he, he filed a report and we couldn't hear one word he said. Yeah. Well, this time he's actually speaking to one of the Oscar nominees. Oh, really? And we talked earlier about how there are so many people that just don't get the recognition yeah. that they deserve in Hollywood. You know, because people in Hollywood, they need yeah. their egos stroked. Totally, right. And we're not talking just about the actors and the actresses and the costume designers. But in this case, you know, we want to make sure that the ego of the caterers are stroked as well. And uh, so we've got Shik Shumway here with an interview. Immediately following the broadcast, I recorded phone interviews with some of this year's biggest nominees. However, in an effort to present you with something completely different, since everyone will be airing interviews with those two stars, here's a nominee from one of the lesser-known Academy Award categories. Franz Volstein is nominated for Best Catering for a Live-Action Documentary Short Subject in the Vegan Kosher Light Lunch category. Congratulations on your nomination. Thank you, Sheik. This is a big day for caterers, kosher and non-kosher alike. What was your reaction to the big news this morning? Well, to tell you the truth, I didn't hear about it until my catering agent called me up and told me himself. I was a little disappointed some of my perhaps more deserving colleagues weren't nominated. For instance, they didn't nominate Philippe Pepillon, who catered for the film My Life as a Mayfly. Or George Leibowitz, who was a caterer for the film Documentary, The Documentary. I'd say the news was rather bittersweet. Bittersweet? Can you tell us what you mean by that? Well, it really is an absolute thrill to be nominated. However, I won't actually be in the Dolby Theatre main concert hall for the award ceremony, since I'll be the caterer for the event. The catering award will be handed out prior to the main event at a luncheon, 
which I'm also catering. You know, this really underscores Hollywood's consistently reckless behavior towards caterers. They hand out these awards willy-nilly, and then all of a sudden it's okay for actors to belittle us with angry tirades and obscene requests like making their meals kosher and halal. Well, if I win, I'm going to have a thing or two to say about that. Uh, excuse me. Congratulations on your nomination. Uh, Miss Eisel, Jan Eisel, you're nominated for Best Zinger in a Foreign Movie Review. How do you feel? Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, every day we face challenges, either professionally or personally. And our guest today, life and business coach uh, Michelle Atias, says our mindset impacts how we deal with those challenges. We either operate from fear or what we call a scarcity mindset or from trust, an abundance mindset. And uh, we, you know, if we can somehow regroup ourselves and, and operate more out of fear or out of trust and um, abundance, it could actually change our lives in a way that we may not um, we may not fully appreciate and, and understand. So, so honored to have her with us. Michelle has been a personal development coach for 20 years and uh, was a therapist before then, um, before she had this abundant switch in her mind and opened up a whole new world of possibilities for her. Michelle Atias, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me, Matt. You bet. It's it's an honor to have you. Uh, now, here's the deal, Michelle, because uh, I, I worked for um, Stephen Covey, who taught about mm-hmm. abundance mentality, scarcity mentality. But there there's something really deep-rooted in your ability to see the world as either an abundant resource that you can mm-hmm. experience, or you might see it as a scarce resource. Talk to us about um, abundance versus scarcity mentality. Yeah, I mean, it's something that we kind of, it's, it's almost like a button that you switch on and off, um, because you, I personally, I notice it. But I notice it when I'm in scarcity, because uh, when I'm in a scarcity mindset, and I do step in and out of it sometimes. I'm not perfect, and I no, still right. negotiate my way around it, but I'm aware of it. I guess so that's the key, right, is noticing exactly. it, being aware of it. Exactly. It might never end, but it doesn't matter because now I'm aware of it and I'm aware of when I'm stepping in and I'm stepping out of it. So when I'm in scarcity mindset or when I've been in scarcity mindset in the past, um, I feel uh, anxious. Everything feels limited. I feel almost like a a sense of desperation. Mm. Um, and, And I spoke about that in the article, almost as if you're going to a sale at Harrods and you pick on the on one item thinking that that's it, you're never going to get anything better. So you become almost, uh, you cling on to things that might not even serve you, but you cling on to it um, because you believe that there's nothing better. That there is just nothing better. But when you, or when I have an abundance mindset, I know there's always more. I feel it in my body. I don't feel anxious. I feel uh, open to whatever's coming to me. And I, and I sincerely feel that more is yet to come. So I can shift between mindsets, and I notice it when it happens. Uh, so, so for anybody who's listening, you know, it, it's, it's, it, the clue is always, I believe in your body. Your, your body feels it. You know, your, it tenses up. It feels anxious, you know. And, um, 
and with with abundance there's an openness that happens mm. very organic lovely openness that happens and then I guess the choices that you make from that place are very, very different because you're no longer you're no longer tolerating stuff that you would normally tolerate. You know there's more, therefore you don't have to tolerate what you've been given. You can you can go out there and get more because you know it's there, or wait till it comes to you. But but there's a very different way of I guess a very different way of operating in life. And I, I talked in the article about limited mindsets you know because it does it yeah does create a very limited mindset does is because i look at it um and and I, I i know i get exactly not exactly but i get what you're saying in how it it also fosters um this sense of fear the scarcity mindset does and this anxiousness this anxiety and as we live in a world today where there's so much more anxiety it seems like than ever mm. before. It, I wonder if it's not because, you know, more and more people are are kind of glomming on to the fact that, you know, they got to get what they can get and, and just mm. hang on to whatever you've got because you may not be able to get more. That's right. And it's not just hanging on to what you've got, but there's also fear in giving too much away because you might not be able to, you know, there's this fear in giving too much. Uh, if I give too much, I won't have enough for me. So there's always almost like a protectiveness as well around you. Um, And I was working with a client a while back, and and her fear was that, uh, you know, she didn't want to give too much away because she was scared that she wouldn't have enough. Right. So it almost affects, you know, lots of different ways that we really operate, but it's generally from a place of fear. And does, when you look at it, I mean, also with your therapeutic background, is this yeah. something that um, are, are we born into this? Are we? Are, is this abundance versus scarcity mentality something we're trained up in? I mean, it makes sense if you were born like during the depression that you'd be a scarcity-minded yeah. soul. But um, how how is it that we go about creating this paradigm for ourselves? Well, it's interesting because you talk about me. You know, my time when I was a therapist. Being a therapist was very, very different. I had a very different mindset yet then, and I probably had more of a scarcity mindset. Um, the way that I worked with my clients was more limited. Uh, it was very different. Being a coach, I work on, you know, abundance, on, on uh, you know, picking up on somebody's potential, their resourcefulness, their resilience. I'm picking on all those things, and I'm teasing it out because I know there's more, and I sincerely believe that when I work with somebody. I already work with them knowing they have more. And when they see that I believe that, they also begin to trust that. So, you know, do I believe that you're born in that way? I believe that we're born completely perfect. And I believe we're born whole and perfect and beautiful and resourceful and, uh, you know, full and armed with potential. Unfortunately, over time, uh, you know, uh, whether it's in our early years, we begin to have thinking that comes in that tells us we might not be enough, that we need to behave a certain way, that, uh, you know, we, we build defenses that make us feel safe. And that might be that that scarcity mindset has kept you safe when you were five years old, but you're still operating in it when you're in your 30s, 40s, and 50s. Mm. So that's a time to really look at that. It might have served me well then. And I thank it for having come into my life then, but it might not serve me now. 
that I'm an adult. Mm. I'm a big believer that uh, feelings follow thinking. And yes. um, so what are some of the feelings that we feel that uh, would be telling us that we, we're probably, you know, entrenched or, or caught up in a scarcity mentality? The feeling, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, thinking comes first, then the feeling is manifested because you're, you're, you're feeling your thoughts, basically. Right. And then you experience, your experience in the moment is powered by that. So, um, so really, I would say kind of a tightness in the chest, uh, you know, this anxiety and this almost like a desperation as well. I mean, I, I see it in, a couple, you know, in my clients as well, uh, saying yes to jobs they don't really want because they don't believe there's going to be more. So feeling a sense of, uh, you know, the, the, the des- a desperation. So really questioning yourself, hmm. you know, is what I'm going to go for, if, if basically, and I think that's, that's one yeah. thing that I ask in the article, that if I knew, say if I'm going for a job and I'm really not that happy with it, but I really have a belief that there's nothing better out there, well then that's where I'm going to go. But what if there were five or six people asking me, would I like to be working with them? Would I still be saying yes? Well, what if that was possible? What if it was possible for me to create more possibilities as well? Because this is also part of opening ourselves up. Yeah. It's not just about waiting for the universe to deliver, but it's also about us putting ourselves out there, knowing that not only is there enough out there, but we're also enough. Mm. And it's interesting, that question. Um, so if I'm a consultant uh, and, I, and I'm hanging on to this one client, doing everything I can, yes. even lowering myself and, and being someone I'm not, but being so desperate mm. and needy, then you say you suggest ask yourself, okay, so if there were five or six people out there looking for your services right now, looking to work mm. with you, would you hang on as tightly to that one? That is such a freeing idea. Mm. Um, what because yeah. that, I guess that that creates that creates the abundance idea um, because if I, I guess it gives me a hope, it gives me um, mm. a, a, something else to hang on to. How do we – is there a way to create that similar um, abundance if I'm just starting out and there really aren't four or five people yet even knowing about yes. my services? How do I create the abundance without already having it around – or not, not – it's already there, but I don't see it. I think just play with it. But I think just play with abundance. Play with what it would be like if I would feel abundant in my life. And that has nothing to do with my bank balance. Right. So let's be clear. Right, exactly. It doesn't matter. I've worked with very wealthy people and I've worked when I was a therapist. I used to work with kids in complete and utter poverty. And honestly, there is no difference. It is a mindset, nothing to do with your bank balance. But if we could just play with showing up in the world as if we are already enough, as if we're already abundant, as if we have already everything that we actually need, we've already got it. Now, that doesn't mean that we're sitting back and just, you know, uh, burning incense and chanting mm. to the winds. It means also knowing that because I'm enough um, and because there's so much out there, I'm going to go out there and get it. So it might be that you're starting out, you don't have a lot of clients, so you go and uh, you might want to go on LinkedIn. You might want to go on some great networking events that are out there. So you're going to play with where that abundance is. So you're going to go to these events. 
you're going to connect with people, you're going to reconnect with people you already know. Maybe they have clients for you. So you're going to play with, you're going to be in that mindset already. And what tends to happen is the universe begins to almost respond to it because you're showing up differently Mm. rather than with a scarcity mindset of, you know, maybe I don't have enough clients. It's never going to work out because that's what we go to. It's not going to work out. Who on earth is going to want my, my services? I guess maybe I better start doing something else. And, you know, the world gets more and more and more limited. What we want to do is we want to make it more expansive because it is expansive. That's so true. And uh, it's also a contagious thing, it seems like. If yes. I have an abundance mentality and and uh, I'm a consultant with a lot of clients, then I would be abundant in in turning some of those clients to other people and, and abundantly yes. sharing my best practices. Absolutely. And I, I'm a really, really big believer. And um, I, I was working with Steve Chandler last year. He's, he's a coach in the U.S. And one of the things I really learned from him is the way that he gives service to his clients. And I learned so much. This fearless giving didn't matter what was going to come back. It was just as fearless love and giving, and it was like with an open heart. And again, giving, giving everything you have without, I mean, not financially or physically, but giving, giving what you have in terms of your wisdom, in terms of, you know, maybe helping people out with some coaching or, you know, just sending them a book because you know that that might really help them or an audio or a, or a video it, and, and just serving openly. I mean, I think it impacted me in every way. Hmm. Because you know your abundance, it doesn't matter if you give things away because you know that more will come. It's almost like a renewal. More will be will be created. Yeah. Is it and the neat thing too, it seems like, um, about uh, abundance is that um, abundant people aren't fixated on tangibles either. It doesn't seem like mm. they're 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 that like a Gandhi gathered his power by knowing that he was he wasn't attached to anything. Yeah. And um yes. like a, a Christ and a Buddha, these people would they understood their power was in just giving away what every mm-hmm. whatever they had. Is I mean I guess part of that is where and where our fear may come is when when we're so attached to all of these tangible things that we now must protect. Yes, and and I think it's when we live in that way, it's a very scary world we live in. When we're very attached and we feel that, that you know, we have to, you know, so almost like cling on to all these things we believe maybe define us. And, um, and I think part of it is, as you say, is letting go and being less attached. Now, I'm not saying that you can go from super attached to 100% detached, you know, in the next couple of days. But you could be 3%, 5%. Seven percent less detached, and you know less attached. Sorry, and practice that. What would it be like if I was, you know, that little bit less attached to what I think? Uh, I, I, I think you know I need to be attached to, and maybe it has made you feel safe over the years. But we can let go a little bit, and then see what that feels like, and then mm. let go a little bit more. 
No, absolutely. We're speaking with Michelle Atias from the website michelleatiascoaching.com. And we're talking about an article that she wrote on medium.com, Lead with Abundance, Not Scarcity, uh, really about this idea of an abundance mentality versus the scarcity mentality, where you attack the world seeing that there's abundant opportunity, abundant resources, abundant um, experiences and good that is there instead of being so fearful and scarce-minded. What uh, suggestions do you have for us, Michelle, as to how we can with our families, with our children, how we can start to foster this abundance in our family and with our children at at younger ages? I think, uh, you know, a lot of it comes down to language. So be aware, first of all, the kind of language that you're using, especially around children. I mean, I have two daughters myself, and I know the time how my language has changed with them, has impacted them. So being aware of whether the language that we use with our kids uh, describes a, a scarcity, an anxiety, there's not enough, we can't afford it, you know, let's not give too much, as opposed to an abundant, open uh, kind of, you know, the, the words that we would use. So it's, 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 so being aware of the words that we use, um, how we show up, you know, how we, oh, and for some, for some people, they might need a bit of help with this, they might need to slowly begin to let go of all those things they're attached to. Again, this isn't something that you can let go of overnight. Mm. But it's just a a better way of living. And and as I said, you know, this is something that affects relationships because we become uh, less attached, you know, in certain ways and in in healthier ways. We become perhaps more compassionate, more giving, more understanding to our kids, to our, you know, to our partners, also knowing that they are enough, that there's more. So, you know, whether your child comes home from school and they're disappointed that something didn't work out, you know, reframing that and, and, and you know, sharing with them how, of course, they can do more, of course there's more, and with our partners as well, you know, releasing that fear and bringing more, you know, of, of an openness and, and, a, and a feeling of having it all, you know, that, that will release that, that, that scarcity and that, I guess, that fear mm. that can sometimes really, really paralyze a family. No, that's so anyway. good. I agree, Michelle. And I think it's such a powerful, uh, powerful, uh, you know, beginning paradigm as well. Uh, Michelle Atias, thank you for your time, your great uh, insights there. Again, the website is michelleatiascoaching.com where you can get uh, more information about all of her work, her coaching, and her blog. Also, uh, you can go um, to medium.com and find her article, Lead with Abundance, Not Scarcity. Awesome insight, folks. Straight ahead, a little Coach's Corner for you. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. What's the matter with you, boy? You too stupid to do what your coach tells you? Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his Coaching Corner. Play ball! Welcome back, friends. Uh, Yeah, you know, you think about life, and a lot of times you don't think about how you think about life. You just, we're we're all so automated in our thinking that we never really evaluate it. And so one of the interesting things about getting into the fact, are you an abundant mentality? Like, do you you evaluate your impact um, and your ability to give by simply what you have? 
Or when somebody needs something, do you just immediately step toward that person and know that we'll find something, we'll figure it out? And Or do you just, oh, I, I can't give because I don't have cash or I can't give because, you know, I'm not in a place to do that. Every single one of us has something unique and amazing and impressive, honestly, that we could be offering the world. And the abundant mentality just simply allows us to start seeing that there are other solutions. A great uh, example that I've seen, it happened just recently as I was sitting down with clients um, where, uh, a, you know, a, a daughter was getting uh, married. She has a, a man in her life. She found him as she was away from the family and, you know, found this great guy. Well, the parents don't like the guy. And I mean, by the way, I get this example so many times a month, three or four times a month. I will have parents call me saying, we've got to figure this out. I don't want her to marry this person or I don't want my daughter to marry this guy. Um, But in the end, what happened um, is they come in with this dichotomy where it's either they marry or uh, they don't, either mom and dad win or uh, I win. And in the end, what I found is why dichotomize it? Why is the choice an either or? Why aren't there so many other ways that we could look at this? And um, for example, what we could talk about is how can we help mom and dad understand why this person is so powerful and awesome that you would want to marry him? How do we, as mom and dad, relax and recognize that if your daughter is going to make a decision to bring someone into the family, that um, it's going to happen? So at some point, you're going to need to understand, care, love, and allow people in. And why not start that now? But part of it is because we have a scarce mind, a scarcity mindset where, well, I've only got one daughter. <laughs> And uh, this isn't the guy for her. And so when we start with the scarcity mindset, then all we can have are scarce thoughts. And then all that creates are scarce, fearful feelings. And then from the fearful feelings, all we can do is act out and be angry and, you know, do everything we can to stop the relationship. And then what we're becoming is someone that's angry, small, petty, not who we want to be in life. And that impacts what we're becoming, and then what we're becoming over time reinforces our thinking. Life is short. I'm losing my daughter. Now my daughter won't even talk to me. Obviously, it's this guy's fault because the guy – she used to always talk to me until the guy came around. But there is abundance, and abundance doesn't mean that it always goes the way we think it's going to go. But abundance means I can love you. I can understand you. I can care about you. And – I can also choose to listen to my parents and and take in to the fact that they have a whole, a whole other view here. They're seeing things I'm not seeing. Abundance might say that we don't need to hurry and get married, but maybe what we ought to do is slow down the process and get as many people on board as we can. And uh, abundance would say that we all ought to give it a fair try and um, on and on and on. But whatever we start with, whatever paradigm we begin with, abundance or scarce, is going to set up how you play out the entire situation. And it will amazingly self-fulfill and either create more abundance in your life or more scarcity in your life. It may not, by the way, be the life you thought you were going to have. That's the amazing thing about 
being abundant is you may realize that I didn't even know I had all of these other resources at my disposal, and now I can use those. And it may be a richer life, different than you thought, but richer in a variety of other ways. So just know abundance is a part of everything we do, and it's natural, and it will create over time, I believe, a healthier effect. I think I think your God has abundant ability and resources, right? And so if that's the case, then as human beings, the more abundant we can be, the the better off we can be. It doesn't mean, too, we still can't have – you know, um, boundaries. It doesn't mean we still can't have rules because we can. And inside of those rules, there are an, a, a plethora and abundance of solutions that we can still institute to uh, to make change happen and make things happen. Anyway, powerful stuff, folks. Abundance versus scarcity. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. Hey, as we wrap up uh, hour number two of the program, let's get to another empty news headline with Jeff Simpson. Have you ever had a pet? Yes. Dr. Matt? Cute little buddy. Anything ever happened to it? No. Really? Well, he used to get a, you know, he'd jump off the couch and hurt his back. Okay. Well, that's not so bad. (laughs) Imagine, uh, well, don't imagine you're a dog, but imagine you own a dog. Okay. And you watch it be snatched up Mm. by an eagle. Wouldn't oh, yeah. that be the most horrific no, thing? No, that would be horrible. Well, it would be more horrific like if it was the eagle, eagle taking your kid. Right. But, uh, yeah, that's what happened. There was an eight-pound – how do you – What? The, I'll just say eight-pound dog taken by a hungry raptor Tuesday in Pennsylvania. It seemed like something from the Wizard of Oz. Even more astonishing, Zoe would live to bark the tail. Zoe is the name of the dog. Yeah. Rodriguez said he was by himself at his sister's home in uh, Bowmanstown, and Zoe was playing in the fenced yard when he heard a loud screech and hurried to the door. There was flapping of wings, and then it was gone. That would be crazy. Yeah. Uh, he drove around the neighborhood looking for the seven-year-old uh, dog to no avail. He assumed Zoe was gone for good. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good assumption. Little did they know their dog would be found later that afternoon a full four miles away. Uh Uh-oh. Zoe's rescuer was Christina Hartman, who said she was driving on a snow-covered back road when she spotted a furry white lump ahead. I noticed this little frozen dog, icicles hanging from all over. Oh, no. It could hardly move. She wrapped Zoe in a blanket and took her home, feeding the dog two bowls of chicken and rice soup. Hartman noticed several small wounds on the back of Zoe's neck, and the dog walked with a limp. She had no collar. Hartman spotted Newhart's uh, public Facebook post Wednesday morning and returned Zoe. She doesn't want to go out, Newhart wow. said. I really can't blame her. Amazing story. The only thing scarier yeah. is if that were to happen to one of your kids. Oh, yeah. Unbelievable. Wow, cool. And good to have heroes out there. So, hey, watch your little dogs. Watch your little dogs. Eagles are everywhere, including the Super Bowl. We'll continue the journey straight ahead. More fun on the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. 
along with Jeffrey and Terry. The gang is gathered. We are all here, ready to go. And Jeff's going to try to do this entire segment without bringing up the Oscars or any movie uh, metaphors, analogies, or mentions. Wrong. Okay. It was a nice try. Anyway, uh, Oscars have been announced. Um, Again, nine movies nominated for Best Picture, and I think I may have seen two of them. I think you're right. heard of three or four of them. You saw Dunkirk? Yes. And did you see The Post, or was it Darkest no. Hour? Oh, no. So you I've, saw Get I've, Out. I saw Get Out. Yeah. Wow, so I've seen none of these movies. Really? You haven't seen Dunkirk? Not yet. It's Whoa. My, what kind of American are you? Whoa. I'll get it at some point. Well, it's a British movie. Well, there aren't really so any kind of Americans in the movie. What kind of American movie, are you? Right? Yeah. I'm the kind of American who's waiting for our own Dunkirk. Well, not really. What kind hmm. of uh, American are you to not watch Get Out? Um, yeah, didn't watch that one either. Okay. That one got four nominations. Best Actor, Best Director for Jordan Peele of Key and Peele fame. Oh, yeah. He also got nominated for Best Original Screenplay. He got nominated. <laughs> Careful with those fingers. <laughs> That's uh, by the way. Um, He's gesticulating wildly as he talks about the movies. This is why we need video in here because yeah. they could see the excitement. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming on your show on Friday, this is going to be talked about a lot. Actually, we're going to be talking about Steven Spielberg. So you're trying to use who, my show to talk film, about fun fact. Whose film yeah. is nominated for Best Picture? The Post. The Post. Hmm. It was okay. I thought I, I don't think yeah. it's the best picture of the year. That's the movie where they just have a post in the middle of a field and they just keep showing the post. No, this is the uh, we are going to break the fourth wall, look right at the camera and tell Donald Trump that he needs to not tell the press what to do. Oh, OK. Using the Except Pentagon none, papers. None of those words are used. Yeah. OK. <laughs> And the New York Times says we actually broke the story, not the Washington Post. But that's a different story. Uh, no, yeah. that's that's part of the movie. They, okay. Yeah. Well, but, no, they held a um, they held a uh, panel discussion, I guess, at the New York Times, which everyone just sort of coded as the New York Times trying to remind everyone that this was our <laughs> story. Yeah, <laughs> it's in the movie. I mean, it's very yeah. prominent in the movie that the New York Times was first. Yeah. And but, then Nixon shut them down. They also, you know. They still won the fake news awards from President Trump. New York did. Times did. Didn't well, they? yeah. I don't know who actually. I, I have. To, I didn't count up nobody, who got the most nominations. Yeah, it was, right. It was you mean um, that didn't have thirty-four million viewers? No, watching no. that award it, ceremony. It, it crashed a GOP fundraising website. That's pretty much the claim to fame for the. But that is. Fake I mean, that's awards. a big deal too. I mean, to crash a website. Well, not one that wasn't set up so that they could handle moderate. Attention right. from people who were interested. We've oh well. We, we've we've had a lot of uh, talk today. In fact, our first hour, if you missed it, uh, Boyd Matheson with, was with us and talked about the shutdown and how that was that itself probably could have won an Academy Award. Yeah, because of the great acting that was done by both parties <laughs> to pretend to. You know. Or it could have got most confusing screenplays. He's not <laughs> sure exactly what the game was for both sides since they were both agreeing on the same topic, just not how to move forward with it. Because mm. apparently around 60 to 70 percent of Congress wants to fix the DACA program. 
Right. I mean, that's what he said. Everybody's but, on the same page. And this is where he got into the fact that the leadership, it's, it's a leadership issue. Six or so leaders mm-hmm. in, um, in, I guess, really, it would even maybe include the president, but the Senate and, uh, and um, our congressional leaders, all the leaders are the ones that may be causing some of these problems. They have the power, but most of the members... They they want votes. They want to get stuff done. Congress, uh, in fact, voted to on the bill. Right? They voted on the bill, but the senators didn't support the vote. Well, the House. The House did. Yeah, yeah. Because it was voted on. The Democrats wanted a DACA fix, and the House went, "Nah, well, we'll just toss the, in chip, the, the, and you'll Democratic be okay with it." Leaders did. Yeah. Well, then there was no acknowledgement of the DACA. Or just, We're not going to do that. Right. And now it's fixed for seventeen days. Well, it's Yay. on life support for 17 days. Interesting news came out. President Trump is having such success uh, at creating jobs, bringing money back into the economy. The economy is booming. One of the things the Brookings Institute is finding is that a lot of those jobs aren't going to the districts where the president won all the votes. Hmm. Hmm. Those jobs are going to all these other districts. So then it makes you wonder, wow, well, what's going to happen He's, he, but he's doing, uh, you know, many would say he's doing his job. He's getting, he's getting the economy moving. He's getting jobs moving. They're just not making it to middle America. Right. The carrier plant where he went and had that yeah. right after, or it was actually before he was inaugurated. He went to the carrier plant. Most of those jobs have moved on. There's plants that were down the street from that carrier plant. Right. I heard a, it was a ball bearings plant. I heard an interview with people that work there. That whole plant shut down three months after President Trump showed up and went to Mexico. Oh, wow. And they're like, wait a second, we voted for you, sir. And so there's some of these sort of feelings, like you're saying, jobs aren't going where, but the jobs go where people are and where the companies are. All of a sudden, you know, Amazon uh, had a new headquarters. Um, Apple's talking about another Mm -hmm. headquarters or another building. And those aren't going to go to a small town. So what if they all go to blue states? Maddening. That would be maddening. Maybe hmm. they'll go to Ebbing, Missouri. Okay. And they can advertise yeah. those jobs on three billboards one outside of three Ebbing, billboards. Missouri. One That'd of the three billboards, yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, somehow we got that in there. Um, let's get to the rest of the headlines, Terry. What else should we be paying attention to? Uh, new news out today. Uh, Attorney, Attorney General Jeff Sessions questioned for several hours last week in the Russia investigation. That's interesting. He's talking to Mueller. Yeah. Over issues involving there uh there was a school shooting this morning in kentucky i saw that There's one one person dead the shooters in custody several others are wounded after the incident scary so just some some news there there was a, a tsunami warning this morning most of the west coast was involved that was the warning was rescinded but there was a little uh, tension there as people were a little concerned uh. about the imposing Tsunami that never happened. Uh, President uh, Vi- Vice President Mike Pence on Monday addressed reports that President Trump called African nations by some derogatory comments. Right, he right. finally, someone was able to get a hold of him. <laughs> more, and more than a week after, he was talked to uh, about the Washington Post. An interview with the Associated Press, Pence defended the president from accusations of racism, telling the AP that Trump does not support immigration policies that are based on race or nationality. I know the president's heart, Pence said. Instead. What the president does support is a merit-based immigration policy that puts the interest of America first, Pence said. Ah. He says he knows his heart. He used the same uh, comments when they were talking about the Charlottesville, Virginia situation. Right, right. Because he knows his heart. Yeah. I mean, and sometimes our heart is different than our mouth. (laughs) 
right? Be, Sometimes our mouth says stuff that the heart didn't mean. And what the, does your heart say? The, the, bing, bing, bing. The AP noted that uh, Pence did not directly answer the question. Yeah. He just said he knows his heart. Well, he indirectly answered it. It's not direct. <laughs> Rumors have been swirling about uh, President Trump and the White House Chief of Staff John Kelly's tense relationship practically since the former Marine General was promoted to the role last July. But Vanity Fair's Gabriel Sherman writes that uh, things have now reached a point where Ivanka Trump is trying to figure out who replaces Kelly. One person familiar with the situation is saying, causing particular friction is the Mexico border wall, which Trump and Kelly have practically disagreed over or publicly disagreed over. Ke- uh, Kelly told House Democrats last week that some of Trump's ideas were uninformed and have evolved. <laughs> and Trump responded saying, the wall is the wall. It's never changed. It's not evolving. It's what it is. Privately, Trump hasn't appreciated the narrative of Kelly trying to smooth things over on his behalf. The more Kelly plays up that he's trying to be the adult in the room that is basically combat duty and he's serving his country. You know, that's kind of the, yeah, how yeah. he's described his job. That kind of thing drives Trump nuts, one Republican says. Yeah. He'll, he'll be around. I think Trump likes... I think he likes the general. I, I and, think he likes yeah. him. Trump on Monday, uh, President Trump on Monday acting on recommendations by the U.S. International Trade Commission approved imposing tariffs on solar panels and washing machines. Oh, really? The administration says that by placing a tariff on 30% on most import solar modules and a tariff up to 50% on large residential washing machines, this will help American companies. Huh. So Whirlpool is pleased. Oh, yeah. The solar industry, not so much because they say that's going to uh, it's going to slow down business because it's going to raise prices. Okay. So it's kind of a different uh, – the, the industries are different – they right. react differently to tariffs, and so the solar industry is trying to say that uh, the tariffs will hurt his industry and it's going to raise prices mm-hmm. because dealing with overseas and sending these technologies overseas right. and some of them coming back helped to kind of balance things out and all that. So, And finally, um, what name, what to name your child if you want him, them to earn a lot of money? And then what names to avoid if you want them to earn a lot of money? Donald. Which names are successful, which names are not? Rich. <laughs> Richard. Rich could be one. Uh, so this, uh, what is it, Knowledge Academy is the, the website. They used a uh, CV tool called Adusa Value My CV Tool. So it's a tool that goes through resumes and okay, kind of yeah. gauges uh, pay rates based on names. So right, totally scientific. Right, here. right, absolutely. <laughs> based on nothing other than that. So they, they took 500,000 CVs uploaded to the website. This included first names and salaries. Yeah. That was the data set yeah. they pulled. Oscar tops the list for boys. Whoa. Whoa. Oscar? Yeah. Oscar, on that website, 500,000 of these resumes, uh, they earn around fi- the average of $51,000 a year. Wow. Right? I know at least one very prominent Oscar, and he has a ceremony every year. Yeah. I think that's a different Oscar. I know another one. He lives in a garbage can. Okay. We said it. Okay. George, close second. Really? Followed by Oliver. Oliver. When it comes to girls, the top name is Lily, earning around forty-two thousand a year. Followed by Isabella and Ella. 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 Now, when you see the la- the names on the bottom end of the list, the bottom earners, yeah. you Matt. might see where where there's a problem with this Terry, data. Jeff. It says uh, Jack, Jacob, Muhammad, Olivia, Jessica, and Mia are set to earn the least amount of so money. So the most popular Whoa. names. Exactly. So you have the most names. You get the, the most okay, people. Okay, but that the just numbers. shows that's a flaw yeah. in the statistical approach. Absolutely.
So the the more rare the name, the more likely you are to hit gold. So even though my son is included in the least earners, I think he <laughs> still has a bright future ahead of him. Your son's name is Muhammad? Yes. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, I wonder where Stas fits in there. Stanislav. Inconclusive. Stas. I'll wait till you get it right, and then we can talk about it. Stas. Stas. Stays. No. Slaz. Vaz. What's his name? It's Slaz. It's Stas. 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 Rhymes with boss or sauce or floss. Stanislav. Stas. That's that the derivation is. Yeah. Stanislav, but hey, 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 I get it. Okay, but we didn't name him. He was about to mansplain. Let him do it. I I was just, um, I was just trying to. I speak Russian. You don't know that, so Stas. That's how you say it in Russian. Hmm. Alternative facts. True. You do not speak Russian. How do you how do you say it in Russian? Stanislav. How would you say Stas? Stas. Same same as you would in English. Stas. Stas. I said Stas. Stas. Stas the boss. Just call him Stas the boss. That's cool. Remember. By the way, he is the boss, born in the entryway of a hospital. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's when we knew his name would be Stas, because it was either going to be Stas or something else. Or like Code 1. Brian. In, yeah. <laughs> Clean up on aisle four. That was his name. Um, okay, good stuff. Stas is there. Um, your son's name is Jake. Mm-hmm. I have a Jake. All my kids were named with – except my son named Bobo. Bobo Fett? He was named Britton, but somebody gave him a nickname, and they now – everybody calls him Bobo. Does he own that name? Does he like that name? He likes it. I mean, it, it's him. Is he going to clown college? Yeah. Yeah. That's what we're hoping for. If we can get a scholarship, uh, clown makeup does not come mm, cheap. True. So, And you know this. You're on TV all the time. Uh-huh. I wear clown makeup every Thursday. <laughs> I don't know why you had to go there. Hey, is it true that iPhones have a radio? No. Even though the FCC is complaining about it, the phones do not come equipped with a radio. Are you sure? Yes. They Apple came out and said, we can't turn on the radio because it does not come with a radio antenna antenna involved in the software or the hardware of the phone. Now, there are some phones, and they use them. Um, other countries use them quite a bit. Because it's a, a great way of communicating, and that's how people get their news, and they have a little FM transmitter yeah. app or something on their phone. But, uh, yeah, phones in, our, in this country, we don't usually have a radio connection. Who listens, to the, who listens to the radio, anyway? <laughs> <clears throat> wow. Wow. Um, Man. All of our listeners do, yeah. Jeffrey. Like, Every last one of them. It's kind of a funny question to ask hmm. on a radio show yeah the the fcc commissioner came out and said you know i wish that apple would just turn on the fm transmitters <laughs> and then apple responded with they don't the phones are not equipped with an fm transmitter well it is just some switch that's sitting there on the wall and they're waiting for somebody you know like jake to go over and flip it yeah jake your Either son one. he likes to flip switches yeah he goes look dad the lights are now off and I went, thank you can you turn those back on not your Jake, just a Jake. Just a yeah. Jake. Yeah. I think his name is Jake, and he flips the switch. It's a lot of power to yeah. wield. Totally. If you're out wielding stuff. Why, would you like an FM 
capability well, on no, your phone? I mean, I'm just thinking that would be really neat, I think. Yeah. Because then you, what can't your phone do? True. Right? I mean, except stop a bleed. Well, the new phones <laughs> listen to headphones through a headphone jack. They take those yeah. away, so you have to go buy yeah. another product to listen to your phone. Boo. Uh, speaking of headphone jacks, did you guys hear that NASA, um, some of the NASA instruments, or the, what do they call them? Um, NASA astronauts mm. went out and did a spacewalk today. Did really? They? A six-hour spacewalk. And they just say, hey, get out there, you guys. They call it a spacewalk, but it's mostly a tethered float. Well, a space float, right? you're not tethered really, float. You're not really out there just going for a stroll. But you gotta, you've got to fix the station's robotic arm. If, if right. you don't have the robotic arm, who's, how are you going to take the garbage out? It's true. Don't we all experience a tethered float at some point in our life before we were born? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Kind of an internal situation, but sure. I don't know that you needed to bring that up. There's not that much space See, in that space. The but. spacewalk they do ends up being a maintenance issue, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's like always maintenance. Over the weekend at my house, probably your house, is it snowed. Right. I had to step out on the deck. You put your moon boots in my, on. In my soccer slide <laughs> sandals because I wasn't going boots yet and reach up with a brush and knock the snow off my satellite dish so I could watch TV. So. It's very important. Similar experience that the astronauts had. Today. I can see you out there in your set with your robe. No, I just had some basketball shorts on. And you're like, kids, get out of there! And they're like, eh, knocking it, the snow off. If he was tethered, it was because the robe uh, sash got <laughs> cut. But you know, you have, I put one foot out because there's snow out there, right? And I'm, yeah. in a, I'm in a, I'm wearing a sandal, right? And so it's cold. I don't want to get really committed to being out of doors. You, so. We're going to post this video. It's it's it really is just maintenance. They but it's pretty fascinating. They're out. They're you cleaning know, the windows. They're, they're doing orbiting. Those types of they're orbiting, and they have to get out there and like fix their garage door. Last night I had to fix right. my garage door. Mm-hmm. I I kind of bumped into it How, with your car. Uh huh. Yeah. I really? kind of I kind of backed into it. Don't you have hmm. a rear backup camera and everything? Yeah, that's, it's the, to... that's the weird thing. Huh. Don't you have a garage door opener? Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. So okay. you have all the elements needed not to back into uh-huh. the garage door, and you right. still did it. Don't you have um, eyes? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> what, you can't see them? <laughs> no, but I opened the wrong garage because I'm oh. now parking, I'm parking in the Got other it. garage. So I right. opened the garage I always open. Definitely first world problem. Absolutely. Yeah, did. One of my three garages. <laughs> I hit it when I opened the wrong garage. Was it like Mitt Romney and his elevator in his garage that he had a problem with <laughs> yeah. when he ran for president? I couldn't get the elevator to get the right car, <sighs> and it yeah. brought me the Porsche. They brought the Speedster instead of the SUV. I you guys know what that's like, right? When your elevator's not working in your garage, <laughs> don't you hate it? Whatever. All right. Let's get to the real uh, game today. Uh, Today, so honored to have our next guest. Uh, We'll take a break and come back and talk with Brittany Fisher Frank, who was on the show a few years ago. Brittany suffered a 100-foot fall, which uh, paralyzed her. And uh, she's been on a process ever since. This was about five years ago, overcoming paralysis. A, a beautiful story of, um, of life and fear and conquering your fears. And uh, now she's got some beautiful surprises as well we'll be talking about and um, her her life. The power of hope that comes from our next guest. You're not going to want to miss it. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world.
Welcome back, friends. You know, we all go through trials, whether it's a physical ailment, the death of a loved one, or just got to get those bills paid. But uh, it's it's not about the times that we fall in life, but the times we pick ourselves back up. And we have a special guest who uh, I think uh, has truly been a leader in this area of, of finding life. Um, we... We're just blessed to have her. Brittany Fisher Frank is joining us, and she is uh, she's been on the show before. But back in 2012, you may remember the story where Brittany took a 100 foot fall off of a cliff while rappelling. I think with your young women's group. Is that right? No, no I was on spring break. Spring from break. Utah State. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you were with friends though. Uh huh. That yep. was it. I remember. And the friends. Um, anyway, you fell. You you broke your back. You were paralyzed, and. Um, by the way, your aunt, Christine Knockleby, is so <laughs> in love and proud of you. And now she's taking care of your little bundle of joy. But I remember when we talked, um, I think you, you weren't even married yet. You were engaged, I believe. Uh-huh. Yep. We were just engaged at the point when I went back and did that second rappel. And so you went back and said, I've got to get back up that mountain and rappel down that mountain again which is why we had you on the show, to overcome mm-hmm. your fears. But then even at that time, you had other fears like marriage, family, life. What are you going to do? And so we wanted to have you back on because that was a few years ago, and your life has sure changed since then. It has. Married to Trevor Frank, and now you have a cute little bundle of joy, William. Unbelievable. Congratulations. It's a good life. Talk to us about uh, your journey. How's, how are things? You, you, uh, you were paralyzed. And what was the prognosis? What were, what were the doctors telling you about your future? You know, so I, my injury was at T12, which is about everything from the waist down. And initially, no feeling, no movement. And during those three and a half months in the hospital, things started to progress. So I knew I wasn't going to be completely yeah. paralyzed and what they call incomplete. Um, but I didn't know what I was going to get back. It was this big question mark of, will I ever walk without uh, my crutches? Will yeah. I just be walking with a walker? And it, it just slowly evolved over the years. And I went to physical therapy for about three three years pretty intensively to get wow. where I am today. And is that like daily? Is that weekly that you have to go? How often do you go to physical therapy when you were going? Um, so I'm not going anymore. But when I was going, I was... I came back to school as a student at Utah State, was finishing my teaching degree, student teaching, and I would drive down from Logan to South Jordan because that's where <laughs> NeuroWorks was. Yeah. That's where the best of the best um, physical therapists were. And so I was going about three times a week. Unbelievable. Long journey. <laughs> it was. And, uh, and then um, on top of all of that, so you've quit doing your physical therapy, but on top of all of this, uh, you, you get married. Mm-hmm. What was the, what was the transition of marriage like for somebody with paralysis? It's been so interesting. I mean, when I when I went back to school, um, I wasn't planning on meeting anyone. Yeah. I wasn't looking for anyone because I was just dealing with so much myself. And it took it took a few years. And Trevor and I dated that senior year and actually broke up for two years. Did um, you really? After before we got married, because I just still was figuring out you my life sure. in a wheelchair. Yeah. And I was still grieving certain things and figuring out. And so um, before that repel, that, that anniversary repel that we did, um, Trevor and I had gotten back together and sealed the deal and knew knew uh-huh. it was meant to be and um we'd both grown up in the ways we needed to and I grieved and mourned and figured out yeah. figured out me and my injury yeah. 
Um, and so doing that repel just helped me shut that door and just opened open the future, future chapter one with marriage, moving forward with marriage. And, you know, Trevor's never known me not in a wheelchair. And oh. so for him, like he just took everything on, loading the wheelchair, loading um, my crutches, loading a walker on her very first date. Yeah. I mean, um, so for him, that's that's all he knew. Yeah. He didn't know me as this independent, fierce runner and and what goes through your mind because you you have to rewire or rewrite your image of yourself i'm assuming i did yeah i i call it an identity crisis yeah. you know there's like midlife crises and mine was an identity crisis when i was laying in the hospital looking at these lifeless legs thinking before i was a rock climber i was a runner you know i loved everything active and outdoors like Without that, who am I anymore? Right. And it took weeks and months and years of learning that that I'm not my body. That um, it's the spiritual and um, and it's my attributes that that make me who I am. You're so much bigger, and I guess we all are. And we see so many discussions where people are framing their identity around their body or their sexuality, and their whole identity is their gender, their sexuality, their body. But you learn very quickly it's it's more about your essence. It's about your spirit. It's about all these traits you talk about. Mm-hmm. And the traits, I guess, are what are getting you through being a mom. I think every mother <laughs> – any I mean every mother struggles, let alone one in a, you know, in a wheelchair or with paralysis. What's it like with baby William? How did he change the game? It was a big game changer. I'm trying to even wrap my mind around it because it's been the craziest two months. Um, You know, first of all, being pregnant, I thought it was going to be way more difficult in a wheelchair. And I worked up until 36 weeks. So that worked out. Um, And I was working out until the very end. And I was starting to do research online, like, how do other people in wheelchairs do this? And I just, I couldn't find anyone in my situation with my function that walks with a walker and and uses a wheelchair. And so I kind of had to write my own book. And and it's, it's just taken kind of. Trial and error, no terrible errors. Yeah, he hasn't yeah. fallen or been <laughs> dropped. <heavens>. Yeah, <laughs> um, but just between wraps and and having family around early early on to help. But you know, once they left, I I felt confident that you know I've you got this. this. I can do this. And the wrap, I mean, the baby was literally wrapped to your chest. It uh-huh. was just it wasn't going anywhere. I and mean, then you maneuvered in in your chair, and then jumped up into another chair, and everything's fine. Yeah, I mean, I don't have my hands to hold a baby when I'm moving around. My right. hands are either on a walker or on my wheelchair. So wraps right now have saved my life and, and able to be a mother. I don't know what that will yeah. look like in a well, couple of more months. Well, when they're 16, the, the wraps become weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. just weird. He might be the one walking then, <laughs> yeah. carrying me. He'll take care of you. That's the thing. What are you learning about you? I mean, I guess the key is you you just keep rising up to the next challenge, the next opportunity of life. That's what humans do. Yeah. I, we constantly have to adapt to our circumstances. Not not everyone's circumstances are extreme as yeah. mine as um, to adapt to. But, um, you know. It's, it's you. I mean, I guess I, this has got to be weird because this is your life. 
Yeah, and I just, the biggest thing I've been learning right now is before my accent too, especially, I was go, 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 you know, run. I didn't like to sit and watch movies. Like we'd be hanging out and like, I'm just going to go for a jog around the block, like be back by the closing credits. And, (laughs) you know, I just was so restless, I kind of say. And then my accident happened and I had to learn to be still and I had to learn to to be more content and um then with a baby, what you get done in a day, I still am like, oh, I should be able to work out and get this done and organize this and cook dinner. And and then all of a sudden I'm overwhelmed and all of a sudden it's five o'clock and Trevor's on his way home and yeah. I'm like barely getting dinner on the table. And so I've learned that, um, that, yeah, all those other things are great to get done, but being present with William is being productive. Yeah. And that's that's been the biggest thing I've been learning right now is, you know what? Like before I measured productivity on what I could get done and yeah. check, check, check. And now I'm just learning to be still again. I'm learning that's that beautiful. lesson all over again. Well, and I think we all need to learn it. I mean, in a way, it, it seems like you don't learn it until something – it almost has to – something has to happen to you physically – Knock you off to knock feet. you off your feet, and then you, your mind is forced to learn to be still, mm-hmm. and to take it. I assume you're making Trevor get up in the middle of the night to get the baby, right? You know, actually, we've got a whole situation worked out that I, I do all the, do all the really? care at night. Yep, there's a little bassinet on the side of the bed, and I can get him, him over. in and out, and change his diaper on the bed at night, so I don't have oh, to get man. up with him. You and... may be making it too easy on Trevor. <laughs> maybe, we yeah. To, on the maybe. weekends, I get a little more sleep <laughs> and say, hey, you take him. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. What um, What else? So are you teaching? Are you, are you going to go back to teaching? What's your plan there? So I was subbing up until 36 weeks. When I found out I was pregnant, I had a job offer and was like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I want that. I just didn't. I had no idea what this yeah. stage of life was going to look like for me. And, you know, it does take me extra time to get in and out of the car with him and do things. So I'm really glad I didn't take on even more, even yeah. a part-time teaching gig. So right now I'm I'm learning to, to embrace this stage of life and and see what what life brings in What's a couple next? of years. Yeah. What, uh, what advice do you give? Um, I mean, you've lived such a different life, and yet, it really, it almost seems like it's a whole, you've lived a, a lot of life kind of packed into five years to have to overcome a lot. What advice do you give to people about challenges? You know, every time I would sub, I'm like, okay, I only have these students for one day. What are they going to remember? Like, I'm going to teach what they're their teachers yeah. left, but what are they going to remember? Because they're always so interested by me and my wheelchair. And and so at the end of the day, we I tell them, like, if we've had a good day, I'll tell you everything. I'll tell you the story. And then I kind of always close with this. Um, you know, we don't always get to choose what happens to us. I mean, some choices we make in life for sure, but yeah. some things happen to us and it's no fault of our own or it's not a choice we made. It's a choice someone else made or just natural events. Right. Um, so we don't always get to choose what happens to us, but we get to choose how we will react. And sometimes in the classroom, it's someone said something <laughs> to you, but you still get to choose how you react. I mean, second graders, when I taught last year, that was that was what I went to. I'm like, okay, your feelings <laughs> may be hurt, but you get to choose how you react. Yeah. Is it different being a teacher? Because you're on their, their eye level too, <laughs> which is, I think, so important. But you you can you're relating to them differently. Do they do they relate to you differently when you're in the chair? Um, they they love it. I mean, I have yet to have a class that was rude or or inconsiderate. And yeah. 
my second graders it worked perfect last year because they were I could see over their heads still. Yeah. As the older grades grow grow up and get taller, it's a little harder to see over fourth graders' it's heads. So true. But yeah. but they still they they are so interested in it mm-hmm. and my second grade class, I let them ride in my spare wheelchair when they earned enough points. Do you? <laughs> and they get that experience. It's a cool experience yeah. for them to realize. Do you, um, I guess, do you have to maintain going from your walker to your chair? Do you have to do, do you have to try to be on your walker as much as you can? You know, personally, with being an incomplete um, spinal cord injury, I have full sensation in my legs, so it really, I call it butt anxiety, like you for sitting too much. And so I really do like to get up and stand and walk as much as I can. That's great. Just keeping up with with William and with my students, I have to use my wheelchair sometimes to, <laughs> butt to move faster. No, but that's, yeah, that's, is that what we call it? I didn't know, but <laughs> the, the, now you know what the kids are going through when they're kind of yeah. fidgeting in their seats. Oh, yeah. You need to keep them moving. <laughs> Where, uh, what are your goals going forward? What does the future look like for you? I mean, now you just got to try to keep up with William. Yeah, you know, I have a yearly theme. Um, and for the last 10 years, I realize this is the 10th year I've done it. And this year, my theme is to to be still. That's um, great. Because the stage, his little stage of newborn is, is going to go quickly. And so I just really feel like being still and listening to, to what I need to do this month may change to next month. Yeah. And so instead of having like this long list of accomplishments I want to do this year, I'm more just breaking it down. Yeah. Um, and Playing as, as it goes. Yeah, and kind of allowing the spirit and your your heart, your essence to to create it as you go. No need to hurry. Yeah, that's... but but we it's funny how we do it. We we would distract ourselves from the now and go worry about what about another baby and what about <laughs> what about when William's a toddler and he's moving around and I mean, but you still got this great kid that can just in fact he's making all these noises over there right now. <laughs> you still got this great kid that that. I, I like believe me, my baby's twelve. My <laughs> oldest is twenty four. They're not gonna be this age. Yeah. But it's beautiful, isn't it? It is. Well, we're proud of you. You're killing it. You're doing a great thing. One last thing. What advice would uh be still is is probably the key bit of advice for all of us. What um what should the person that just found themselves in the middle of a trial they never expected? That uh, that they now have to overcome something—the death of somebody, an injury, loss. What what advice do you give for them in that moment where they're thinking, "I can't. I don't know that I can do this." Oh, that's such a good question, and my mind goes so many places because when those things happen, it is such a long process of healing, and that's what I've learned is it's just been step by step hmm. and. You know, for me, I've learned that there's no cure for paralysis, but there is healing. And I feel like I'm completely healed. Oh. Um, and it takes time, though. And so it takes doing the work and facing um, facing the hard, hard things that you're going through and in your time. And that time frame is so different for so many people. Yeah. And do it on your time frame. Do it at your pace. Yeah. But no, it. There, it will happen. You'll heal if you work on. It. Do you need to work on it, or does does it heal naturally? You have to work on it. I was just reading a talk about this and about how like healing is is active. You have to be involved. You can't just sit and think that oh, if by not Time, thinking yeah. about it, it'll it'll get better. It's facing it, facing your demons, facing those those difficult things going on. Yeah, and I guess learning, adapting, mm-hmm. and seeing the good. 
I mean, there's good things. There's good things happening every day, and you're still, you know, you still suffer from paralysis Mm -hmm. or partial paralysis. Yeah, my circumstances haven't changed, but But we can choose choose joy. I mean, you don't have to feel joy every moment. I'm telling you, you're (laughs) along that path. I wasn't always feeling joy as I was facing those demons and those hard things. But it's real. It's powerful stuff. Brittany Fisher, Frank. Brittany, is there is there a way that people can get a hold of you if they if they're so inclined? Um, I do a lot with Instagram nowadays. So just find you on Instagram. Uh-huh. I think Brittany Ann two seven eight. Brittany Ann or my email's on there too to, okay. to contact. That's me. That's a great way to so. do it. Uh, Brittany Fisher, Frank is her name, and uh, William is the real game now. <laughs> Cute little William, Brittany. Thank you. Keep Thanks up so the great much. work. Beautiful stuff. We will continue the journey, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Yes, folks, it's time to mosey on down to our good friends at BYU uh, at uh, Sports Nation and uh, you know, this is the time we find out what will be coming up on their show today. Hello, gentlemen. Hi, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> How y'all doing? We're just trying to figure out if BYU is actually going to make the NCAA tournament or even have a shot at it in basketball. Really? Yep. What, what, what are you finding out? Well, we've got this trusty figure called the RPI Wizard. RPI Wizard? Yes. <laughs> that uh, is you telling us. RPI! That wizard sounds weird. I know, right? Yeah. Anyway, so we're plugging in information to try and figure out if BYU has a shot. Oh, good. Depending on who they beat and when they beat them yeah. and, you know, all that stuff. Does it matter about the other teams? Like, you know, the other yeah, two teams ahead of them? Question. RPI is one metric, and yeah. it's been used for a long time. Luckily, the NCAA is looking at it and saying, okay, this is one metric, not the metric, right? The metric uh, should be record and then obviously strength of schedule. And now there's things like strength of record. Mm. There's obviously RPI. There's different publications that come out with different ratings. Ken Palm, KPI, ESPN's BPI. So there's different things to say, okay, how good is a team? We're looking at them this one way. Are there multiple ways to approach how good a team is? So it's 2018. There are different metrics to look at. And it's fun to use those in a way in which you can evaluate a team with greater insight and different angles, right? Yeah. It's not one guy saying one thing. No. And I I think we're overlooking the other metric of have they been chosen from on high? (laughs) Which... Um, because seems, that's what determines everything. BYU right. hasn't been chosen from on high since 1984 <laughs> in football. Right. You, but that's how you know. I mean, if somebody can throw a Hail Mary and catch it and win the game, obviously. I mean, Tanner Mangum obviously chosen from on high. Well, as a freshman. Yeah, twice. Right. Anyway. Hey, um, speaking of being chosen, did you guys see that the AFC and NFC uh, ratings, TV ratings, were off the chart? For the championship games? Those two championship games. 46 million viewers uh, watched the NFC game. They earned a 27.4 overnight rating, translating to 46 million viewers. The AFCs had a 27.6 overnight rating, which fetched 48 million viewers. Are you ready for some football? Yeah. Take that for data. That's some serious. That's some, By the way, 
more than the Oscars. Well, and it's it's going to be a crazy Super Bowl rating, too, because Tom Brady and the Patriots are playing in it. Oh, is Tom in it? Oh, uh, yeah. When the villain is playing and yes. he is dominant, people will watch. Uh-huh. And it's been 100 mil for years, right? At some point, yeah. that will dip below 100 million because the metrics around how to gauge viewership are changing as tech evolves. Yet, that's still the biggest thing in TV. Oh, yeah. Justin Timberlake's in, in, doing in America. Time. Right. Like, what TV show says, ugh, 80 million? I don't know. It used to be 100 million. Like, it's 80 right. million people, that's even a, if it dropped 20 or 30 right. million. Well, I mean, isn't that like you, that's your event. ratings, right? You guys get, you guys draw 80, 90 million. million Take off a couple of zeros and we're right there. Yeah. Let's see. Have we drawn 80 million people in Combined. the lifetime of our show <laughs> in 1,065 <laughs> shows or whatever yeah. it is? Yeah. Hey, um, is it true? Did you guys hear that Kobe Bryant uh, has an Oscar nomination? For his for uh, ode his to basketball ode to yeah ode to uh, dear basketball yeah yeah that's cool I mean that's I mean how many how many superstars get that There's not a lot of Oscar Kobe award Brenta. winning yeah I mean I mean you guys sir you guys win awards uh, we don't get awards up here in my show well, yeah. we just we give awards we just don't <laughs> get any awards so uh, yeah. what what's on your show today gentlemen. Uh, we are making plans for the years 2024 and 2030. Would you care to join us? Yeah. Well, are you planning a cruise? What are we are We starting a cruise fund? Well, we're hoping the BYU cruises to some football wins. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> BYU yeah. signed home-and-home home contract yes, with NC State yesterday. That's cool. A game in Raleigh in November of 2024 and a game in Provo in August of 2024. 30. Wow. That's 12 years out. Wow. Really? Yep. I mean, can you think of anything else you plan 12 years out? No. Yeah. So we'll make a deal of that. But notably in 2024, there will be some major TV contract uh, renegotiating for all of the Power Five college football conferences. Ooh, that's going to get crazy. And that could, yeah, make things weird as far as realignment goes. Setting hmm. uh, up a chain reaction. So the idea is, yeah, BYU's got these games in 2024 and 2030, but where will they sit in the college football landscape by then? Right. Well, and honestly, will any of us be alive? I mean, I don't know if you heard, there was a tsunami warning today. Uh, another fair question. I mean, We're inland a ways. We'll be fine. Well, I know, but we may, we, we may be the next California, you know? Oh, boy. I'm just saying. I've heard it. I mean, I've heard Great it on weather? Sweet. all the weather boards. Hey, uh, okay, so that, that's good talk. Anything else that we need to know about in your neck of the woods? Offensive assistant coach Aaron Roderick, former BYU receiver. He uh, was up at the University of Utah for a long time. He's on the offensive staff. We'll talk to him about the development of the offense and what led him to want to come back to BYU. Cool. And Blaine Fowler and a new between the lines. Boom. Boom. Mic drop. And they're out of here. <laughs> it was that simple. Once, you know, once Spencer yells, boom, then we just, we immediately cut away. That's the official drop. 
Well, it's another great show. BYU Sports Nation. It is straight ahead, folks. Five minutes away. Five minutes away. Let's go now quickly to an Oscar update. Anything, any other news, Jeffrey Liam Simpson, about the Oscars we should be worried about? Well, first, I want to say I am shocked that they were very indifferent about Kobe Bryant's Oscar nomination. They didn't seem to care. This is a basketball player with an Oscar nomination. Yeah. Holy cow. What did he actually have to do with it? Well, did he write it? He wrote it. He wrote it, Kobe, and then somebody Kobe else somebody else animated it. I don't really know that much about it, but yeah. I look just to make sure. I looked at his IMDb page, yeah. and it says nominated for one Oscar. Wow, the Black Mamba. That's how they'll announce it. And the winner <laughs> of this documentary, Dear whatever, Dear Basketball, Dear Basketball, uh, the Black Mamba. He will Kobe get one. Bryan. If that one wins, you will see him up on the stage holding an eight-pound Oscar. That's interesting. By the way, a lot of eight-pound Oscars go on to become very successful, as we learned earlier in the program. Oscar is a very popular name. It's a very popular name. And if you want your child to be rich and wealthy and have a great job, you probably ought to name him Oscar. Uh, Now it's time for the hero story of the day. Uh, An Irishman has been hailed a hero after he saved a man from drowning in Australia after rushing to his aid uh, during the weekend. Um, uh, Paul Grimness was having dinner with friends in Melbourne when he heard cries for help coming from a nearby river Sunday night. A man aged in his uh, 50s fell off a pier and suffered a heart attack, prompting a passerby in his 20s to dive into the water and attempt to save him. The young man, however, struggled to stay afloat after getting uh, into difficulty in his cries for help through the attention of nearby diners, which is where Irishman Paul Grimes uh, heard. He then uh, told Melbourne News, I grabbed the older man under my arm and I was afraid that I was going to fall over, so I got one of the girls to actually stand uh, on my feet so that I wouldn't fall over. It, uh, it took a while to lift him out of the water and just lay him down on the pier, he added. I basically put my hands on his stomach and then realized I was too low, so I put it more on his chest and pushed down twice. Anyway, he started coughing and turned over, and uh, that helped save his life. Downplaying his role as a rescuer, Paul said, I was ready to jump in, but luckily I didn't. The real hero is that guy who jumped in and and saved him from drowning. So we do it together, right? That's how you save a person and really save all of us is we're going to succeed or fail together. That's why we do the show, to help give you the ideas, the information, the tools you need to make us all closer, hopefully, and to elevate the discussion. Until tomorrow, my friends, make it a great one. BYU Sports Nation is up next. 